They're bad. They're boys. And occasionally, they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Baby, come back. Bye, 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 bye. Bye, 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 bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that you have to leave. Bye 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 bye. Hey, how are you, David Hallard? I'm good actually. I've um, I've just been causing mischief in the in the last half an hour. So I've only only in the last half an hour. Only the hmm. Actually, today's not been that that mischievous a day. I um, I was staying over at Claire's mum's house last night. Um, with Claire, with Claire. <laughs> so how do you even have to clarify that? <laughs> and, uh, and so this morning, I we we ran over there to um to say hello, and the plan was that I'd run back last night so I could get my mileage in for my long run. But um, obviously once we we're there and we were nice and tucked up in the warmth, that never happened. So this morning, ran back, and it's just been horrific weather. Just absolutely tipping it down so i had one of those runs where um my phone died i wasn't 100 percent sure of the, the 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 best route back but i thought i can't stop because i reckon if i stop at any point i'm just going to get ill straight away because it's just such bad weather and i'm feeling terrible so it's, it's until now that i've actually warmed up and then started my mischief making oh, I, wait, wait wait before we go into what your mischief is i love this i love how all this has changed there is you would never ever ever let anything come between you and your mileage Ooh, which before that's true yeah well i think you know when she's going to be both the making of you and the undoing of you yeah that is true that is true i I mean before i met her i used to have brown hair (laughs) no that is no now now you're being silly (laughs) (laughs) that's true i'd i'd say not many things would come between me and my mileage but actually I could have I think the trouble is with having a partner they it's not that they ever say no and or they're not they're not supportive it's just they slightly erode your own will oh absolutely oh god yes I know exactly what you mean I mean so I at nine o'clock or nine thirty, I could have said right let's go home I need to get my miles in and she'd have been absolutely fine with that. But um, she's there thinking, I'm not going to mention it and see if he realises that. All of a sudden, look like, oh, crap, it's 10 o'clock. I'm like, time is he nine miles at 10 at night. Oh, oh. The best thing about it is that you can then use them as an excuse. That is true. When, when exactly. you have, and then when you have children, they are the best excuse for not doing anything. Is that why you want another? <laughs> There is no way I can train for anything if I have three children <laughs> ever again. <laughs> but um, how are you? How are you? I'm all right, thank you. I'm all right. My my erstwhile back injury uh, oh. is uh, is almost it's almost healed. I'm I'm almost get to the point where I can like walk without being in pain. It's great. So even walking still is is an issue. It's weird. I. It always feels like it's okay, and then you go out and you try and do something. So I went like on a treadmill. I thought oh, I was nice, like low impact type stuff, mm. and it was fine for like five or six minutes. And then it just you just feel something again, and it just 
and then the next day you wake up and it and you're kind of in pain again not a massive amount of pain not a sort of like acute yeah. pain that you have it's just i don't know if this is it i don't know if this is it is this it the the injury that puts you out the, for life this, no this is just age is this it is this what happens then you just have like a series of tiny injuries that never ever recover and then you die Oh, that would be so much worse. I hope if I'm going to die, I hope it's before I get an Iron Man tattoo. Because <laughs> no one's going to tattoo a dead body. Although, now saying that, now I've vocalised that, I can totally see that happening. You're probably going to die of septicemia that you catch from that tattoo. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> that, would be that. The, the worst way to go. <laughs> oh, my God. And then, and then people would get it wrong. They'd be posting on Iron Man tattoo. Uh, what's it called uh, Facebook group going it was what he loved I'm like no it wasn't what I loved it wasn't what I loved at all I insist on giving the eulogy and just go on for, I do it in three stages start talking about how much she loves swimming and how much she loves cycling and then uh, be, be moved on before I can get to the running pit have you ever been to a um, this is I don't know why I've associated weddings with uh, with eulogies, but have you ever been to like a, a wedding or a funeral where um, either the person gets up to, t- to say the eulogy and the description of the person that they're talking about is so different from the person that you know, and it's the same. <laughs> and it's the same when you go to a church wedding. You know, the the um, like the priest or whatever is talking about the person that you know, and you're like, no, no, that's not him. No, no. <laughs> it happened with my my best mate's wedding. Um, the priest stood up and started talking about him and he's going oh yes and of course he's a big lover of football uh, you know and he likes to stay in and watch the match I was thinking no no he doesn't no he doesn't do any of those things it's you're talking absolute rubbish but I love the idea that doing a, a eulogy you're you're changing everyone's perception there's nothing you can do about it it's the ultimate prank I think as well you just start throwing in real curveballs like and as we know uh, as we all know Jodie died owing me £15,000 whereas we all we can all agree with that we can Imagine all agree with that they, you, you come up to the open casket and I'm in full triathlete gear <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and I get buried with the bike <laughs> that would be amazing that would be, let's make it happen <laughs> This is wow. We're hoping we're hoping the legacy of Dubattery is going to go on for that that amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. Or they might even float you out to sea like the Vikings. <laughs> float out to sea and then bike you and then run you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but welcome to the podcast, Dubattery. Well, to, welcome to Bad Boy Running. Welcome to the podcast. Um, because we are a highly professional podcast. And we uh, are much better than uh, all the other running podcasts. Um, we need to talk about our sponsor because we are sponsored by a beer company. Oh, I've been looking forward to this moment. We've got, well, we've got a new box, haven't we? A new box. They teased it. They said, oh, is it coming? Isn't it coming? And it was coming. But it was all right because we'd, we'd finished off the previous box so, <laughs> so many weeks ago. It didn't matter. <laughs> this one, I like this. All, every single one in the box is vegan. Is it? Yep. How do you know? Because it, it, it says there's a little V-neck on the... Uh, it comes with a... So if, you, if, you've, if you're getting a Beer 52 box, beer52.com forward slash badboyrunning, um, you get eight beers, a little snack, and a magazine. And in the magazine... The magazine's excellent. In the magazine, you, uh, you, you get really little... You like the magazine, don't you? Yeah, I do like the magazine. I think design-wise, it, it's great. I think it's the type of thing that... 
Um, I imagine if you go around to like the CEO of Brewdog, he's probably got them all spread out in a fan on his uh, <laughs> on his the table. CEO of Brewdog. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Are we allowed to talk about Brewdog still? Are I, we? Are we uh, I don't think. I, I mean, they are like Weatherspoons now, aren't they? Really? Yeah. I mean, they are everywhere. And actually, I've realised I like it another beer more than Brewdog. <gasps> yeah. What one is um, it? Obviously, beer fifty-two because you can get a free it, box of theirs. Does it come in a growler? <laughs> <laughs> it that actually. I don't know if they've served it down at my local, so I don't know if it does come in a growler. But I realised. So I went for this meeting the other day with um, a couple of guys from the the startup world. Yeah. And um, I've been craving startup world. Is that like Disneyland? But that's right. Yeah. No, no one has any money, and everyone's got branded hoodies. Yeah, it, it's really, really small. You don't have to go to Paris, thankfully. Yeah, but yeah, I've been craving neck oil, uh, Beavertown neck oil. Oh yeah, nice, nice. And actually, I, I just think I, even though like some of the flavours from from Brood Dogs, I think are nice. A neck oil, I felt like an alcoholic because within an hour, I drank and I drank three pints of neck oil to their one because partly I'd run in, I was really dehydrated and thirsty and partly because I was just loving it so much. I so know, I think actually, I don't know. I've been anywhere that served it on tap, to be honest. Yeah. I've only, ever, getting, I've only ever got it from a, from a can. Might be, might be just London. Cause they're based in, I think Tottenham or Tottenham Hale. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah. Nickel and, uh, what's their other one? Gamma Ray. Both of those. They so quaffable. They're really good, aren't they? They are but, really um, good. Oh, what are you drinking today? I'm going on for something called Freak Scene. Oh, no, 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 no. We both... We, I, this... What I like about this... So this is from, this is from our latest box. We've, what, what we've, got, we've got the light beers, haven't we? Um, yeah. So you get five... Uh, five? Eight light beers. And uh, this one, yeah, it's uh, a new... What, is there a theme to this one? I don't think there is a theme to this one. It just seems to be really unusual stuff. Well, I thought they were all meant to be from a region, but yeah, I couldn't figure it out either. And I looked in the, the magazine to try and get some clues, and then that was just all about food. I this think one is interesting because it's got yuzu. This is a new so the freak scene is a New England IPA with yuzu. With you, what what do we know? What yuzu is? Or uh, you? I think it's some. Well, to me, it sounds like the kind of thing that you buy in bunches in Waitrose. That I buy in bunches. No, no, one buys in bunches. <laughs> the queen you buys. specifically. I couldn't imagine you in Waitrose for a start. <laughs> um, but it, I, sounds, I, it sounds like a herb or something like that. I think the um, they're all meant to be paired with different foods, which is a bit of a. I mean, probably not the greatest thing for the podcast because it would then require us to then eat a meal while we drink the beer and make the podcast <laughs> while we have eaten during the podcast before and guests have eaten during the podcast meal. before as well <laughs> yeah yeah in fact a yuzu is a citrus fruit from korea and oh, japan oh can you taste the yuzu there, there's another japanese one in there isn't there another japanese fruit there's another japanese beer Ah, um, I I looked at it about a week ago and then just pulled one out now. So I can't remember any of the other beers. <laughs> that's good. that's why good we're going to tease it week by week. Exactly. So it's like we're rediscovering it 
our is... lack of preparation is actually a very smart move so that we, we, we're rediscovering it. So what do you think of it? I love it. I like anything citrusy. So, yeah, really good. Yeah, it's mm. nice, isn't it? Mm. That's not, actually, it's, it's probably one of the lower percentages. It's only 4.5. Yeah, which sometimes is disappointing. Sometimes it's a relief, depending on how you feel. But um, if you want to drink along as well at home, go to beer52.com slash badboyrunning, and you can get a free box. You just pay two ninety five for postage, which is a pretty sweet deal. We're going from beer. Yeah. And disappointment to the fact that we have two people who are now quite good and it's embarrassing everyone it is it i mean we we didn't set up the podcast to encourage people <laughs> to be better than us at running <laughs> we really set the podcast up to try and make sure that people saw us as the the real trailblazers of the running community and now everyone's beating us. Everyone, well, everyone was beating me already. Um, but <laughs> what I wanted to do is to give the impression that it's okay to DNF or DNS so that they would do that in front of me, before me, to improve my placings. Yeah, absolutely. And then, well, firstly, we've already talked about, are we going to use his acronym? We, we have to use his acronym because that's the only way I now refer to him. I have actually scrubbed out his real name and I only know him as... Cuntface Twat Biscuit. I thought you were going to use his acronym. <laughs> what? Kuffer It's not much. It's not much of an acronym. It's not. It's not. Um, it sounds like the new kids on the block are relaunching or something. NYOTB, wasn't it? Yeah. No, that's not right. NKOTB, wasn't it? Yeah, what what a, what a comeback as well. But um, Rich has been successful in his protestations and has so managed is, to convince... This is Richard McDowell. Go on, so let, yeah, go on. Do, give a bit of background to it in case a listener has not listened to the episode. Uh, Which, I mean, if you haven't, how dare you, listener? How dare you get to this far without going right back to the beginning and starting again? But um, Richard McDowell, a uh, friend of the podcast and... Very quick runner indeed. He was running the Bournemouth Marathon, was leading. A The person in second place was, I believe, sent the wrong way or followed someone the wrong way on a bike. Then uh, got a bit of an advantage from that. Richard uh, was slowing down a bit in the last third of the marathon. And the person in second place overtook him, beating by about a minute. So Richard then complained, saying that the guy had gone the wrong way and under international rules, all this stuff should be banned. They gave it to the guy anyway, saying, on your watch, you've run 26.2 miles. Therefore, even though he went the wrong way, it wasn't necessarily a significant advantage. And Richard complained, complained, complained. He, I think he even wrote to, the, um, to England Athletics. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I think you even upped it to that level. And so they've now given both of them first place. What do you think about that? I quite like it. Is it a fudge? Yeah, well, it is a fudge. So they've given Rich the <clears throat> power of 10 core, official course first place. I can't remember how to word the other one. They've given the guy who, who finished across the line first, like 
the Bournemouth Marathon unofficial course first place or something similar to that, which um, I think as a race director, you basically just want to get rid of everyone and make them go away happy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it, isn't it? It's like, oh no, I don't want to be investigating anything. Just, just, just go away. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think if I would have been the race director, that's what I'd have done. And maybe he has to pay £200 extra or something in prize money, but it's probably worth it to just keep everyone happy. And But it, it's hard to know what to do when this is an issue, when people go the wrong way because of officials. And then suddenly no one is to blame for that situation. Yeah. It, it wasn't intentional cheating. No one will ever know what would have happened had he not gone the wrong way. Um, he might have been by Richard by a minute still. It might have been that because he was overtaking Rich at a different time, that Rich would have a completely different physiology, psychology at that time. And so may have, you know, either of them may have performed differently. So there's nothing you can do, really. I, I like the idea that we're now giving away medals for alternative uh, realities and uh, dimensions. It's like something out of Fringe. Uh, it's like going, okay, well, yeah, you would have won um, had uh, their psychology been different. So we're going to give you a gold medal anyway in this alternate reality. Um, and, uh, and, you, and you can win as well because uh, in a different reality, uh, you all of a sudden got a burst of energy at, at this particular point. I give everyone gold medals because under some, in some situation, they will all have won at some point. Well, it's, it's basically like qualifying for the OCR World Champs, isn't it? <laughs> you have... Everyone will gold medal and you're all in. You're all in. That's, that's if you about pay medals. for the gold medal, you're all in. <laughs> you <do. laughs> yeah. Well, there are. You know, there are now. I, I, I saw there a running company online. I've noted it down somewhere where you can pay for your medal. So you decide what the challenge is, and it could be this month. I'm going to try and run 25 miles, 100 miles going to try and break this time and you then pay the company and they send you that medal what why is that any <laughs> different from just going to like a company that sells trophies or something why 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 don't you just cut out the middleman there probably isn't a huge difference actually other than they try and create a community behind this challenge which i i, I completely see it for um for children if you're trying to encourage them to like run this, run that, it is nice for them to have a medal that's based on achievement and um, kind of similar to a certificate. But for adults, I find that really, really strange. But did you um, did you see the San Sebastian medal? No. Why? Go so uh, Melanie McKay uh, posted in the Facebook group about the San Sebastian Marathon. Obviously, any marathon medal... You, you want it to, to be something that you're proud of. San Sebastian, beautiful place. Yeah, beautiful, uh, lovely. Wonderful coastline. Um, and it's So the San Sebastian Medal <laughs> features San Sebastian Conference Centre. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. And I still haven't figured out why. I mean, I assume... They're very must. proud of that conference centre. <laughs> <laughs> really proud of it. I mean, I think that's why so many people go to San Sebastian. I mean, to be fair, when you started saying San Sebastian, the conference centre was the first thing that sprung to mind. And then, you know, the bay and the, you know, the food, the people, everything else. But the conference mm. centre really is 
Um, it really does top it. I think, in fact, it's probably one of the best conference centres in Europe. Yeah, I mean, the interesting, actually, interestingly, um, the conference centre was built in 950 um, AD. And that's what first attracted people to San Sebastian. Which is, <laughs> really? There was, which is it, why. It was just yeah. a fishing village with, a, with, a, <laughs> yeah. with an international conference centre. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so whenever someone invaded, they actually they forgot about the raping and pillaging. They just ended up being trained on uh, health and safety and learning about um, high polymer plastics. Oh really? Wonderful! I, yeah, I, I, I was I was slightly aware. I can see why it made it way onto the medal now. Yeah, yeah, but it, I, I, I still haven't figured out why it's on there. I, I assume it maybe it's used for the start or the finish, and that's their way of saying, right, we'll we'll give you a discount if <laughs> you include us on the medal. <laughs> I don't think anyone's. I mean, I'd be interested to see their their business case, and well, maybe a lot of people have returned. For maybe conferences maybe there. that's right. So the thing we were talking about with Andy Palmer um, about race insurance. The, all, the other thing that um, a lot of that a lot of race directors are struggling with is mm. getting the permissions, permissions for closing roads and everything. And so maybe now, um, uh, town councils, city councils, they're using this as an opportunity to leverage themselves into uh promoting the town and so maybe this is the thing like you can use the seafront but we've got one tiny stipulation you've got to stick the conference center on the medal so do you think we're going to get medals in the future which are kind of recycling tuesday medal <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> don't 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 leave litter medals um, absolutely absolutely well i mean that would actually be I think that'd be quite fun. That would be quite good, wouldn't it? Yeah, as long as it was, as long as it was, yeah, something in the in the public interest. Um, something like library opening hours, probably not a great medal. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be great though if it was tied to the race timings and you had to finish before so you had to get a book. You had to run with a book and get it in before the library closed to officially beat the cut off. Oh, that's hilarious! You're giving the impression that there are still libraries open. <laughs> There are. How else do people without mobile phones check their internet? <laughs> Where else do, do people go to chat? The, yeah, that's a good point. What do people do in, in libraries? But do bad is what do you want to see on a medal that's related to a council? Inspired. It's funny enough, isn't it? I, I don't know. This, is, this isn't true, but it might be. Isn't the um, Portsmouth Coastal Marathon doesn't it have a skip on the medal? And if it doesn't, it should do. Because it's sponsored by a skip company, which is, again, just brilliant. Is but, it really? Yeah. That's fantastic. They were talking about it called the Portsmouth Bin Marathon. And then it turns out that some skip firm sponsors it. Fantastic. And at the end, do you is there a skip there you can throw your medal into? If you're... The skip's the whole way along. Brilliant. That sounds actually quite entertaining, more, than, more so than the reputation so far. <laughs> But um, talking about things that we didn't want to see, we've got to mention it. A do-bad has written a book. Oh, my goodness. What, are we, we going to give any more attention to this, given that he's spammed the group about I, 50, I think we talk times. about it without naming it. Oh, that's quite a good <laughs> idea. Person. Yeah, and I did, what I did like about it is that... Um, he didn't send it to me, so I didn't have to read it. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I like the fact that Robbie Britton then started giving abuse, and as soon as I as soon as I read it, I might actually have to take back all the positive things I've said. So, um, if you if you'd like to read, in fact, there are two do badders who've written books. Um, one of them is uh, Dave Irwin, and the other is Mark Atkinson. So, if you want to find out more about those books get in the facebook group and search yourself well it's not it's not hard because i, I tell you mark atkinson's done a very he's not i don't think he's a do-badder at all he's just played the long game he's got in really early cultivated relationship he's probably an iron man taps group as well and probably i i hate runners group and all these different groups being this different person in order to try and try and promote his book oh clever deep cover i mean deep cover that's classic do-battery to be fair though he has yeah. Well, should we um, should we crack on? Well, with, we, uh, no, no, no. But we we right. We've gone from achievement, which is basically uh, Richard McDowell bullying his way to a first place. Which again, yeah. it's fully absolutely. We've gone to um, an achievement, which is writing a book. I've not read it, so I don't know how big an achievement it is. But we've given you publicity again. I mean, you reading a book would be an achievement in itself. Do you know what? I think books about running are generally rubbish. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not, I just, I've, I've started so many books on running about someone's journey. I was like, this is dull as anything. You're taking me through your races. This is so boring. Mm. So few books about running that are actually worth reading. Um, but don't let that put you off this <laughs> book. <laughs> but we haven't talked about another do-badder who's had an amazing achievement and, again, embarrassed all of us. And that's uh, Mr. Dominic Spain. Yeah, amazing. Two forty-three was it? Two forty-three, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but, and did you... go on because the, the story. The story of Dominic is amazing because you know Dominic um, used to be massive, like massive. Uh, like no exercise. <laughs> he said that twice without adding any extra information. <laughs> you used the simile of what you just described. He, it's one of those things. It's like a before and after that you just can't believe. You'd be like, mm, so, someone's on drugs or something like that. It is, and it's all down to like hard work. Uh, and it's gone from go it from being like this. You know, to be fair, when he was like a big guy, he looked like quite a. The sort of guy that you wouldn't mind going to the pub with. <laughs> whereas now, whereas now you're like, oh, he wouldn't, he wouldn't go to the pub. So he would be writing a book about running. In many ways, the 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 good Dominic Spain has died, and the evil fast Dominic Spain has taken over. But that's not taken away. That is an amazing achievement. He is he, he's done such an amazing, you know, and he's a he's a he's a solid do badder. Um, yeah. And what he's yeah. achieved has just been just been incredible. Um, it although, might not might not be the end. He might get faster. He might get faster. Although I do love uh, the idea of getting Dominic on. I do think it it would be one of our most controversial episodes of all time because he has slightly extreme views on. I don't know. Slightly? Can you have slightly extreme views? He has extreme <laughs> views on on running. But I'm not sure entirely accord with our community. Oh, for for example. Um, about participation, mass participation in sport, and uh, that kind of thing. 
He's not keen on mass participation <laughs> in sport. Okay. No, well, not, not keen on... Um, well, you know, he's not keen on ultras generally because he just thinks that it's just a load of lazy fuckers eating and like sauntering around and then calling it a challenge. <laughs> Which, I mean, to be fair, he's absolutely spot on. There's nothing really controversial on that. But I think he take, you know, there's, I think there are other things um, that... Uh, that uh, everything's about inclusivity, isn't it? You've got to be really yeah. inclusive. And we are an incredibly inclusive group. But if anyone stands against that and starts saying things which could be construed as elitist, people like lose their shit. Um, and I don't, you know, and that's and that's yeah, you know, that's that's just the running community. Yeah, there's, I know I've got some views that I think are semi-elitist. <laughs> but <laughs> what? I think, well, that means they're elitist, and I'm just trying to soften them. Well, not really. Well. It's more. I don't think elitist, but it does. It does frust. It does annoy me when people say that the person at the back. I think I've said this on a previous podcast, but when they say, "Oh, you know, the person at the back, they've, you know, that's just as impressive as the person who's at the front because, you know, they're out there for longer. They've trained just as hard, and I agree they've been out there for longer. But I do not think they've trained as hard. I genuinely think the people who train the hardest are at the front. And it's certainly if you can't even take genes and you take or or you know, natural talent, that means they're further at the front. But I I've never seen in training someone who's near the back who is absolutely killing themselves in the training in the same way the people at the front are. Um, I don't but know. If I, can, it, I don't know if I can add to that. Yeah. Because but, I, I, the thing is about it's it's weird that um, a, a measure of how hard you train is somehow the measure of i don't know well that's the thing with mass participation sport isn't it it's not it's it's not supposed to be about where you place it's about the challenge and the distance um but then for half, for, for for a lot of the field it's not about the distance it's about the time and so you fundamentally got two groups of people yeah who are judging success on two fundamentally different things and so because there's no overlap. There's always going to be actually, friction. That's where there's that conflict within park run as well, because so many of people who do park run is a race about the time and about the placing. Whereas there is a large part of park run, which is very much about the participation and the community. And it's not a race. Um, and so that shouldn't be a conflict except that for some reason in parkrun rather than nearly any other community they have they feel like they have to stamp their view on the whole of parkrun and rather than saying it's not designed to be a race but some people will race it and you can challenge yourself against your time they insist on saying it's not this it's not this it's not this which i think that's the only reason for the conflict because that happens as you say in every single type of sport in every type in, in fact really in every field of life you know there are people in work who want to be high flyers there are people in work who gain status people are going for money there are people in work who are just going to get the paycheck to do something else they're passionate about there are people who are just doing it to um to while away the time and couldn't care less about any of that but uh, how have we got here? How have we got? I don't so, know. What are we talking about running for? This is like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what, what is this situation? So basically, what we're... So, right. 
fundamentally, let's go back to this. So we've got Richard McDowell, who has uh, consistently been... Is he the fastest do-badder? Um, he's certainly up there. I mean, he's, but he, it, he's, it, he's certainly podiumed and embarrassed himself by doing so a lot of times it, and wearing a BBR top as well. Yeah. The amount of times yeah, a yeah. BBR top appears on a podium or in first place or something is, is, is quite shocking, really. Um, we've had someone write, written a book. We've had another person hitting a PB. We've had someone getting a medal with a conference centre on it. Well, that is that is pretty good. There's been there's been a lot of activity actually, but that's not that none all of that all of that isn't really what about do batteries about. Do battery is about what do Dougal Richard Shakespeare is about to do at the at the park run. What's Dougal about to do? It's the couch to five k where he's taking a couch to a five k. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing! Amazing! In fact, that. The effort of taking a couch somewhere is considerably more than running 5K. What I like about that is that he's been talking about doing the couch to 5K for weeks and weeks, and everyone's been sort of looking at it going, yeah, all right, yeah, 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 all right. And then like, at the last minute, he's gone, just to clarify, I'm taking a couch to a 5K. And everyone's gone, oh, I see. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get any of that either. <laughs> Which, which is brilliant. It has all the elements to do battery. Poor communication. <laughs> good idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I honestly thought he'd, he'd ask me to join him in a Couch to 5K program. I was like, thanks, Diggle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Going to pass on that one. <laughs> but now that you know there's a couch. <laughs> yeah, that'd be quite nice, actually. Just get napped the night before, couldn't you? Yeah, feel for the court. That, that, I mean, that's classic Hallard behaviour. In uh, what's it called? Uh, it's not called Who Dares Wins. What's it called? What I don't thing, know. What was the thing you called? What was the army thing you were in that I forgot oh, about? Ultimate Hell Week. Ultimate Hell Week. You you you're taking little rests while other people are doing all the work. What? What? Onto the video <laughs> evidence. I've got to say, I've got to say, the press ups thing is getting out of hand. Apparently, I can't, I can't remember which marathon it was, but the announcer was telling all the do-badders who were coming across line to do the press-ups. <laughs> I think it's at the Remembrance Marathon. Remembrance Day Marathon. Yeah. But, <laughs> but actually on that, one of the... Uh, someone's been in the Facebook group. Just quickly. Sorry, Nick. Let's quickly check who it is. Um, saying that, James Bradley has been in the question... James Bradley... Is, saying that, James Bradley has been in the Facebook group and he's asking... As a newbie, how many press-ups is the number of press-ups when you cross the line? Oh, yeah. Uh, do we have an answer? Well, it's 10. It's at least 10. At least 10, is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that feels right. Um, but what's it called? Um, Richard Spike Neal. How many press-ups did he do at the end of, uh, was it the Edinburgh Ultra? He was, I don't know. It must have been like 30 it. press ups or so. He was there for eight. The, the video <laughs> goes on for about 10 minutes. <laughs> it was longer than his ultra. It was, it was incredible. <laughs> See, I was at cross country um, last weekend, and that's the only race I won't do press ups in because <laughs> you just can't. Because right. you, you finish and then you're in this tunnel that you can't move. And it would be so weird to do press-ups, especially because you're not allowed to wear anything but um, club kit. 
So you're not going to do better top. And you would just, oh, yeah. So if anyone can do that in the Met League, I'll be impressed. There are, there are some, there are some situations, I mean, it's difficult, like it, it, with City Mass and stuff like that. But I've, it, all the marathons I've done, I've, I've been able to find space to, to do push-ups. And remember, the, the rule is, if you can't do push-ups on the line, as long as they are done within an hour of the of the race i.e. in the pub afterwards it is perfectly acceptable but we oh, still right? need video evidence yeah but, okay, that's, and- but that, that's only in the circumstances where there are too many people on the on the line ah uh, okay okay so from now on i will do that and even at the met league yeah okay that's good that's good well should we move on to our guests who we've been talking about people who've been doing amazing things and boy do we have one tonight Ultra royalty on the, the podcast tonight. I'm sure you all, all know of her well. I first met Elizabeth from the build-up to the, the Marathon de Sable 2016. She was already um, the winner that year. She's won it since. She's run a whole load of other races since. And we wanted to get her on, not just because of her a real experience and uh, to talk about all the success she's had, but you probably know as well if you're anything to do with the marathon de sable or any other ultras she's also the the part owner of my race kit who obviously there's lots of places you can buy kit but i do know from everyone i've ever met who's been out to their store it's the best shop you can go to for impartial advice on kit for ultras and um, so we really want to get her on so that she, she can answer all the questions that jody and i can't so we've got quite a few of those we'll save them to the end but welcome to the podcast elizabeth Barnes. hey hi david <laughs> great to be on that's quite an introduction thank you <laughs> well i mean it's all merited and um i just quite we keep on i feel like i've almost seen you so many times but even this year at the expo i kept on coming over to say hello and you were either in discussion with someone or you were talking or i was talking and then i had to go and like oh wow how have i not said hello to elizabeth in a whole day of being in like two rooms away but um yeah good to, good to see you again yeah yeah really good really good yeah and that expo is crazy anyway so <laughs> mad day for everybody <laughs> so um well, where do you want to start, really? You were, with end of the season, you've had, uh, you know, another another good year. Um, should we take it back to the beginning? How you got into running, where it all began? Uh, yeah, yeah, we can do that. Um, well, if I go back to the very beginning, I mean, I, I started running in my late teens, uh, recreationally, uh, just to... Uh, to stay fit, I guess I thought I needed to lose some weight or something. Um, uh, but but I, I come from a sporty sort of outdoors family. So, you know, I had done a lot of sports growing up, ice skating, cross-country skiing, um, uh, kayaking. And so it, it was only sort of natural to take up running. And, uh, yeah, I did, you know, I just kept running recreationally on and off for... Uh, for many years and it wasn't actually until uh, until 2015 that my sort of running career took off which I guess is uh, quite uh, quite late really well I, I think ultras people do tend to come to the party a little bit later 
because even even people who've run all their life don't necessarily step up distances until they they're either bored or they just tried out something different and suddenly go ah okay um but you you have been running for i mean you've been running for four years was it by then kind of longer distance longer races dabbled a bit yeah yeah so i did my first ultramarathon in 2011 and that was a 50k in uh, in sweden and um i guess i took up ultra running because i was looking for something more in in life my father passed away in 2010 and that for me triggered a lot of change um and i started to think about why i was doing the job i was doing and the meaning of life and i just felt like something was was missing and i i went on this uh, search for whatever it was and i I stumbled on the marathon the Sable and I was like yes 250 kilometers through the Sahara that sounds like something in the right direction you know um and so I started my ultra running in uh, in training for that actually so that's sort of how how it all happened really wow so I mean did, were there any other avenues you'd gone down to to try like extreme water skiing or um like <laughs> baking huge cakes or was there anything else you'd also thought maybe this is it before you hit running yeah i've done a lot of things uh, I, I think i i i was making jewelry for a while um as a hobby but but sort of quite a serious hobby i i something that i might go back to when i have more time i really enjoy it actually i'm a very creative person so um but that was maybe yeah maybe something else that could have turned into some sort of career i don't know otherwise when i did a diploma in sports therapy i worked with that for a little while um but in terms of other sports, there wasn't really anything else that um, that I thought of, actually. I think running just came naturally because I was kind of doing it anyway. And, and although it requires perhaps a lot of training um, to get to the top, you know, I don't think you, you might need some talent, but... You don't require any particular skill as such, really. Maybe not like other sports where, you know, you have to practice, 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 technique, mm. etc. I think running is slightly different in that way. Although I think, because you, you were Accenture before, because um, I can't remember we figured out yeah. how we worked there at the same time, but we, we definitely overlapped yeah. for at least two yeah. or three years, I think. Um <laughs> I, I do believe, yeah, I think you're right in that you don't necessarily need to have that, that level of skill. But I think there is certainly a mentality of um, people who are either very f- uh, focused or organized or structured where something like a management consultancy actually means you're the type of person who, if you decide to do running, will very easily be able to manage the schedules, be able to actually do all the training that you need to versus other careers where you might be a bit more free-flowing in your in those areas and therefore find it a lot harder. Um, I mean, did you, going into that first mountain de Sable, did you have any big problems? Were there some things that you thought came very easy to you or some things you struggled with? 
in terms of training or the race itself or I guess, I guess in terms of all of it yeah and your, your first mm. learning experience yeah I mean I I, I actually really enjoyed uh, the all of it the preparation I was originally signed up for 2013 but um, I, I just couldn't wait that long I'm quite impatient <laughs> so uh, <laughs> So then I, I realized I could get a charity place for 2012. So, I, so uh, yeah, so it got fast-tracked a year, which still meant that I had a lot of time to train. So, um, And I was running with my local running club in Leon C. Um, did all of the cross-country meets and uh, did quite a lot of running with a backpack. And I, I felt, you know, I, I didn't do any crazy mileage because I, I had work and, and that. But it was, um, I felt quite well prepared. I trained consistently. I got completely obsessed about kit. I mean, I bought so much kit. I weighed everything and, I, you know. But I think I got so obsessed that I had like a million things that weighed nothing. And when you put all of that into a backpack at the <laughs> end of it, the backpack, actually doesn't weigh like nothing it weighs quite a lot so yeah. uh so i was on the start line with i mean i i can't actually remember but it was probably 11 kilos or something and it was a really big backpack um wow. what were the yeah. what were some of the things and and for the listeners that haven't done the mds i think the the legal minimum is is it six and a half kilograms or seven kilograms it's six, six and a half plus water. So, yeah, so, that's what you need to have minimum. And I actually think that with the, with the development in equipment that we have now, you don't need six and a half kilos. So I think that rule is a little bit outdated. But Yeah, I was under. You know, I had to take you, it. You can, yeah. Yeah, I did. You know, I had some some tins of food for day one breakfast or something to get through kitchen. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's quite easy to get, like, not much lower yeah. if you want to have a comfortable race and eat well. But you can get a little bit lower. You know. So what were the extra things then? What was that? That six. So that five kilograms. Would you say? Yeah, that's incredible. Um, I had a sleeping bag liner, uh, which I threw away during the race, and then I had a warmer sleeping bag than I would normally have now, and I had um, I had a bunch of like tapes, you know, foot care stuff, like mm. too much, like rolls of tapes, completely unnecessary. I had a camera. Uh, and I had um, maybe a, a couple of pairs of socks too many and probably some unnecessary clothing and a lot of food, I think. I think it's, I'm a bit of a foodie. <laughs> but I think actually even, even back then, even though we've had you know, the internet for years and years and years, it's only really been the last kind of three or four or five years that, the level of knowledge on the internet of the MDS has become so accessible that I think yes. now it's a lot easier to get it right. Whereas 2012, you know, you're relying on 2010, 2011 information. And I, I don't know if it had that same level of, of um, I think the top people weren't sharing their information and the people below that, below that didn't really know it. No, exactly. There was there was very little. You had to figure a lot out yourself, and I think that's maybe what took the time. And and I think to a much greater extent back then you were going into the unknown, whereas today 
even though a lot, I think a lot of people might feel like they're going into the unknown. Mm. There's so much information about everything and so many videos of the race and kit lists and, um, and, you know, people like myself, you know, I've, I've written, I don't know how many blogs about mm. kit and the race and preparation and, um, and other people do as well. So it's a lot easier. I didn't have those things back I think, then. I think you can even buy like a Lyo food pack from my race kit which is all of your kit food in one bag <laughs> like m- yeah, monday yeah. this tuesday this i mean that is it doesn't get easier than that really <laughs> it's pretty tasty no stuff well. I, you know we have actually had in uh, in my race kit like i think it's getting better now people prepare earlier but um there, there were at least maybe two years where we had people in um, you know, if you're flying from the UK on Friday, we had people in on the Wednesday and they were like, I'm doing this race called the MDS. Have you heard about it? I'm leaving on Friday. <laughs> we were like, do you have a credit card? <laughs> okay, we'll sort you out. Wow. <laughs> and that's possible now, which is quite fascinating, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd hate to know how much that costs. Part of the yeah. reason why you have all this time to plan is because you, you're thinking of ways to how can I get this light, but also without buying it all, like buying everything I need to brand new. Um, yeah. So, so going into that first race then, I mean, how did you find it? So, uh, so I, I have to admit that, that I think the two weeks before the race, I was... I was super nervous. I knew I was well prepared, but I was so nervous that I had muscle cramps, you know, I couldn't sleep. And so um, I was really, really worried. But when I got there, um, well, I would like to say I relaxed. I don't think I did. I think it was absolutely petrified because it was really, really hot. <laughs> and and uh, uh, so I was I was worried about that. And I, I found... I found the first day really, really tough, like really hot. And um, I had to stop like mid-stage and go for a number two. And then as soon as I was finished, like five kids just turned up from nowhere begging for money. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, I had an audience as well. So I think I was a little bit sort of sort of shocked the first day. I was like, what am I doing here, you know? Um, but then I think I I got used to it the body acclimatized quite quickly and and then the remaining days were were easier in that sense and and uh, I actually really 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 enjoyed the race I thought it was the best holiday I had ever had like that's how how I referred to it wow afterwards and, uh, and I did it with my ex-husband Colin and uh, um, so we were um well, we were together at the time, and and uh, and it was a, it was a great experience for both of us because he had actually had um, he was diagnosed with breast cancer when we prepared for the race. Um, so uh, when he was cleared, but so it meant a lot to him because he said I wouldn't have discovered that unless I was training with a backpack, which he wouldn't have done otherwise. And um, for me, I felt like I was carrying on my father's legacy, you know, doing adventures that maybe he hadn't been able to do. And and so I I felt like it it meant it meant a lot. Um, and also, of course, I think physically it was a really big challenge. So I was happy that I had had achieved it, and I had made some great friends, and um, I just loved it. I was just on 
on a real high. <laughs> and were you, were you actually, when you say racing together, were you running together as well? We did, uh, yeah, we didn't do everything together. We didn't do that, but we stuck together for the long stage. Um, and uh, that was that was good. But they, otherwise, uh, we we decided to not do everything together. And, and why do you think you were so nervous? Was it fear of not finishing, or did you actually have some expectations you were trying to meet as well? I I had no expectations then. You know, I just wanted to finish. I um, because I didn't. I I wasn't. Uh, well, I was not a bad runner at the time, but it didn't occur to me in my head that I could ever win anything. Or you know, I so I just wanted to go there to have a good time. I didn't want to die in the desert. <laughs> you know, um, and I I had never been to the desert before, so I didn't really know what to expect. And I think. I am a bit of a perfectionist, you know, when I do something, I want to do it. I want to do it well. So maybe there was a bit of a fear of potentially not finishing, which, uh, which was, was worrying, uh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you, you ended up a 15th female, which is pretty good from a first attempt. Yeah, so I was very happy with that, actually. And, you know, especially bearing in mind that, you know, I had my very heavy backpack and I was taking lots of <laughs> photos of camels and things. Pulling the plane down. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was, uh, so I guess that was, um, that was encouraging. Um, yeah, that was encouraging. Um, and, but it didn't, I, I don't think it crossed my mind then to sort of go back and improve maybe a bit but i think a bit later yeah i thought about that i mean when you finished that race you said you hadn't thought about going back to it but did you suddenly was that when you thought i want to be an ultra runner or did you think i'm good at being an ultra runner or did you think i really want to do well at these races i mean what, what was your thinking at the end of that first one you know i think for me it was more that it had been an adventure it had um, you know, I always say this to people. I think it's true in most cases. You walk into the one person and you come out another. Like something inside you has changed. And and I think it's, it's something with that week away from your normal life. You know, you have all your belongings in a, in a backpack. You live a really simple life. And all of a sudden you go, well... You know, you look at your life at home from a different perspective and mm. you can say, well, this doesn't matter, this doesn't matter, this, does, this is not important. You know, and I, and, and I think that feeling that I had had when my dad passed away that I wanted to do something different, um, I think that was just um, strengthened, that, that it, was, it was sort of reinforced by this experience of, of, of doing the MDS. And I, I felt, I really felt alive and I felt that... I wanted to pursue this path of doing something else in my life. I didn't want to um, spend the rest of my life working in an office and, you know, aiming for the next promotion or, you know, I just wanted to do something mm. different. And so that's when I think the, the process really started to to figure out what that would be so do you think and even, actually do it. But even back then, were you thinking 
not just I want to do these alongside my work. You're actually thinking even back then, this is what I want to do full time. I think, yeah, I think I started to think that, yeah, I want to do. I, I don't think I thought at that point that it would be possible to make a living from running around mm. in the desert, you know, <laughs> sort of <laughs> quite uh, um, seems quite far away when, you know, you normally work as a management consultant in London, right? Mm. But um, so I hadn't read, I, I, yes, I would have loved to do something like that, but I hadn't figured out how to go from what I was doing to making money from running in the desert. So um, I, I think I just knew that I wanted to maybe work for myself, have my own business, um, that probably running was a part of that. Um, but not necessarily that I would be able to, at that point, you know, to pick up a sponsorship or make money from running more directly as such. But yeah, there was there there was definitely a, a thought process there of doing something with it in some way. Um, yeah. Although, I mean, the same year, you, you won Ring of Fire, which is a pretty hard race. Um, my friend James puts it on, I think. But, um, I mean, that's what, 131 miles? Three stages? <laughs> Yeah, that was really tough. There, there was there were some tears. <laughs> <laughs> so was that after the MDS, I guess? Uh, yes. Yeah. Was it the same? Was it the same year? Or um, um, I don't know. I, I can't remember now. Actually, I'm thinking. But but I did. I mean, after MDS, I I think MDS gave me the confidence that mm. that I could go further. I was was interested in pushing my boundaries a bit more and so it was after that that I ran um I ran my first 100 mile race and then I did a Grand Union Canal race and uh, so I I guess I took on these these longer races mm. um uh, and I thought that was um, interesting in some way <laughs> and, and have you found obviously a big difference between the MDS and those 100 milers do you do you prefer the sandy multi days? Do you or to the single day races? Or as it stands, I prefer multi day races. They don't have to be in the sand, but I I prefer them to long single stage for sure. And what, why why is that? Because several reasons. So the. Multi-stage races are almost like a small expedition, and and you you get to know people. I like mm-hmm. that. It's it's uh, so it's. I think it's a different experience because it's longer. Mm-hmm. Um, in in some ways, the running is easier because because you break it up. You run a bit every day. Um, so even though it's hard to do that for a week, um, it's it's different from pushing your body um, non-stop for many many hours um at the same time you know you can be very strategic in a multi-stage race and and um it's not just about cases like with any race but it's not just about the running it's about um how you fuel yourself how you recover how well you sleep where which is where your gear comes in mm. um whether you're you're too warm or too cold or you know and so so everything is um is a balance you know you can't go into a multi-stage race and say right my backpack's going to be as light as possible i'm just going to take you know this and i'm going to be on the minimum weight or whatever because if you do that you 
you could be in an awful position if you take too little food or if you go to a cold race and you take um, not enough clothing, you know, or the sleeping bag is not warm enough. So you have to think about everything and you have to, um, yeah, look at look at everything. Um, so I think that's really interesting. And I'm not saying you don't have to do that in a nonstop race, but more factors come into it, I think, when it involves, you know, being self-sufficient um, for for a week yeah and i think even the year i did it with with harvey lewis coming in an amazing runner who day two was even though it was far less than he'd run in one day the total mileage um yeah really really struggled with with the change between just going out pacing once and actually getting your pacing on the first day for your second and let alone the third fourth and fifth um so Mm. So coming up to 2015, then had you had, had you decided I'm going to try and win the MDS, or did, were you just thinking I'm going to go back and see what I can do now that I'm a better runner and I know the event better? So I, I it <clears throat> it hadn't occurred to me to think about winning the race. Um, which is sort of funny because I tell my coaching clients, you know, you should have a specific goal and blah, blah, blah. But uh, <laughs> And maybe now I, I can be more bold in my goals. But then I, you know, it, it, it didn't occur to me, it didn't cross my mind, not even once that I could possibly win this race. Mm. Um, and so I, for me, I I knew that my training had been going well because I had... Uh, I had won and set course records that um, uh, I think it was country to capital in January and then mm-hmm. pilgrims in February. And so, so I knew that I was in good shape um, and people started talking and said, you know, are oh, you going to win them? Yes. And, blah, blah. and I was like, well, look, I'm, this, these are races in the UK and it's a competitive international mm-hmm. field in the MDS. Of course, I'm not going to win. No, but I wanted to be in the, I wanted to be in the top hundred overall. So um, that felt sort of ambitious enough for me. Um, and, and I think you know all of this has to do with maybe my my childhood and how I grew up. And and um, and uh, there's something in Sweden called uh, called Jantelagen, which is this sort of mentality that you shouldn't believe that you are better than anyone else and you know and I, I think I was very much brought up in that spirit that you mm. know um, I couldn't do anything special or I couldn't win anything or you know and and, and I think um, um, yeah that it, it's a shame but that's that's just how how it's been so it's been very difficult for me actually to to grow my confidence and believe in myself and believe that I can can do what I want and you know what so that think, I can pursue big goals do you think it has actually limited you setting yourself targets and therefore stretching for those as, as much as others would have done it's uh, I think it has been a limitation I mean mm. I've I've always been you know quite an amb- ambitious person and, and hardworking and and uh, and that and I think that's reflected in the choices I've made in terms of career and things but but um, but when it comes to yeah maybe having that confidence to set a really big goal I haven't had that and I've never been encouraged to do that 
and uh, so that's something I've had to learn myself, I suppose, later on. Do you think going into the MDS then, do you think you, looking back now, would you have, in, with the, the hindsight of, of you know, your ability and, and how the race went, would you have changed differently? Because it may have been that you were actually training for a slower speed or training for being on your feet more, training for needing a different kit, given that you weren't thinking you're going to be quite so up the, hit of the field. I actually think my no my training was my training was was probably dictated by my by my circumstances at the time so I had changed jobs and I I I was still working in London but I changed firms and I had more time and I was traveling less so um so what I did was I I it was quite often that I trained twice a day. So I would run in the morning and then I would run at lunchtime, but they were sort of short runs, but that's how my training was. But because of that, I probably did um, develop um, both speed and endurance because I was able to do some faster running, but also I was running on tired legs with running twice a day. So I didn't Mm -hmm. do huge mileage at all, but I think the training was, uh, was, well, it was definitely appropriate. Um, I still got the long runs in. and um, So I didn't really, I, I think I did a training that I could do based on my circumstances. And I didn't think too much about that, whether it should be different or whatever. I did, mm. I did what I could do, you know. Um, and then when I came to the race, I um, did the first day and I, I crossed the finish line and someone stuck a microphone in my face and started interviewing me and I started talking and then they said, but do you not realize that you have won the stage? And I said, no. <laughs> and they said, well, you won the stage. I was like, oh, okay. And then and then I I won the next stage and, and the next stage and... Um, and I think all the journalists were scratching their heads, you know, wondering who this <laughs> random Swede was that they had never heard of. And, uh, uh, and yeah, I think it was one of those races where where everything came together, you yeah. know, which is which is part preparation and part luck. Um, yeah. Well, I think you're only as lucky as you're for, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's, there is something, there is, there's something in that for sure. Um, but, but I guess I was, you know, I didn't get any stomach problems. I, I felt, I felt pretty good as far as I can remember, and and so, yeah. Uh, but but no, yeah, I had of course I had taken the lessons from the first time, and so it, my kit was lighter. It still wasn't; it was like maybe seven, seven and a half. It wasn't mm. super light, but it was okay. Um, and yeah, and then I just and then I just ran, I suppose, <laughs> and um, and I happened to be the fastest, the fastest one. So, and, and would you say the the kit weight was the main difference between? your preparation last for the the 2012 and preparation this time or were there some significant differences in, in how you approached it well i had i mean i had probably my training and then the kit for sure um i went a lot lighter uh, 
and I I paid a lot more attention to to details. You know, I was cutting off straps from things, and I was really scrutinizing the kit in a different way. Um, and of course, I knew the race. In, mm. I think for mid marathon the sable, it makes a massive difference having been there before. You know how to pace yourself. You know what to expect. You know what the heat feels like. You know what the air feels like to breathe, and you know what it like what it's like to sleep at night. And and you can come much more prepared, and you can come much more prepared mentally. Uh, and uh, yeah, that that's important. And so, end of the race, winner of the MDS, boom, boom, boom. Um, were you then at that stage thinking, okay, this is now, this is the point at which I, I'm going to become a full-time athlete. I've, I've made it. Where do we go for my next challenge? Or did you get a sense of you're at the peak? What do I do now? Or what was you thinking? Well, I thought... I thought, okay, this is my opportunity, right? This is my springboard. And I, I realized that things wouldn't just happen. I thought, I have to do something. Um, so, you know, I had seen people win races, but stayed stayed in their jobs because that was their security. There's, you know, what they, what they wanted to do, what they felt safe doing maybe. And, you know, it's... Uh, Everybody has to decide what's what's right for them. But, you know, I was looking for something else. So I knew that now I had to I had to do something. And I thought if I can't do it with the MDS win, then I will never do it. Um, but I realized that I needed um, probably needed more PR because nobody knew who I was. Right. I needed more races. I needed to show that I could do something more than just winning MDS once. So I signed up for more races. I got some invitations. Um, uh, Ian Corliss uh, helped me a bit as well. And, um, of course, his photos are fantastic. So, you know, that, that helped. And and um, later that year, I so I kept working and I, I spoke to my boss, who was very understanding, and, and he gave me some... Uh, some uh, some extra um, time off and I started working part-time but then towards the end of that year I looked at my diary and I realized for example I was like looking at it and I thought well in February I'm only going to be at work five days and I thought it's not sustainable um, so I thought I'm just gonna have to I'm just gonna have to do something because I had just said yes to all these races right? so somebody <laughs> else might have said oh no I, I can't do that race because I won't I won't get time off work you know I've used up all my holidays so I have to I have to decline and I was more like okay yeah thanks for the invitation I'll do that race and so uh, and, and and then I thought I'm gonna think about how to actually get there later right <laughs> so how to manage my work situation so it, it it came to a point where it was not sustainable and then i realized i'm just gonna have to resign and then um uh Raylight came along and offered me a sponsorship uh and so that was the that was sort of the safety net that i needed and you know uh, it's not something that i, I think you know the sponsorship deals in ultra running are generally not something that mm. of course uh, bears any resemblance to a salary mm. that you would earn in the city but you know it was something and so i felt like yeah it's okay like and now i can 
I can leave and I can take this take this leap. And so I did. Well, yeah. It confirms your value, doesn't it? Even if it's not enough for now to live off the fact that someone's put their faith in you, you'd hope means that others will as well. So it's, uh, it's, it's that show of confidence, really. Yes, yeah, it is. And I, I had built up, uh, I had built up some coaching uh, business, and of course, um, also my race kits. And so, so there were, there were some, some other uh, revenue streams, or at least some, some in the making. <laughs> so, so yeah, and I, so I just decided that that now is now is the time, and and hopefully it will work, and um, and uh, and that's that's what I did. So. Yeah. So how did you? Because when when we met, I think you were injured going to the the marathon stuff, or you had been in the training. Is that right? So in 2016, yeah. So 2016 followed on on that then. So mm. so basically, I resigned, and I resigned. I, I guess end of the year the year before and so I had a few months to MDS but but I had three months notice and they made me work it so I, so I actually did only leave my job a week before MDS in 2016 and and those few months leading up to the race were really busy because I was doing so I was doing my job I was doing mm. coaching and then and then the shop was growing so it got really busy but we didn't have enough staff and and you know um, a small Growing business is is a huge amount of work. Anyone who's tried will will know that. And so, so when I came to MDS, I was uh, frankly very very stressed out, and I felt like I hadn't been able to train enough, um, and I felt like I was almost like letting people down. Right, you know, my sponsor and people who had maybe expected me to win, um, and it was it was really really tough. So I was in, actually in a really really bad place mentally. Mm. In 2016 for MDS, but somehow I managed to scrape fourth place and sort of finish with my dignity intact, I suppose. And then, um, and then things got uh, things got a bit better after that because uh, I was able to carve out some more some more time. Um, but yeah, it was a tough race. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> especially the, the the timing, I guess, when you you've left your salary and suddenly then like. Mm, Maybe it wasn't a great idea. Um. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. You go like, oh my God, I've left my job and I'm not even like, I've not even been able to train to be a good runner, you know, and then <laughs> that's what you're supposed to make a living, a living from, right? So um, it was, it was hard, um, but uh, yeah. Because yeah. you, you then went to the the um, I think the race in Costa Rica. I mean, how that's another multi-stage, similar kind of distance. I mean, how would you? What, what are the big differences between racing in the desert and racing something like that? Yeah, the so in Costa Rica you have a you have a mix of rainforest, jungle, beach, some mountain trails, and it's the the biggest difference I suppose is that it's extremely humid. So it's hot. It's sim- similar temperature, but extreme humidity, and that means that um, when you sweat, the sweat doesn't evaporate. Um, from your skin and it's the evaporation of the sweat that actually cools you down not Mm. the sweating itself so it just brings a new different um challenge Mm. in that sense um and of course completely different 
environment. You know, it's much more technical running, um, more variation, a lot more climbing and descending. Um, so completely different. But they then you get you get fed. You know, they have a, they have a team of uh, of chefs that travel around with you, and they do fantastic food and and you can take some gear with you that they transport so you only have to carry a light race vest so so that makes it easier but the running is maybe harder and did you feel you had the skills for running on that type of terrain going into it or have you done anything similar um so going into that race the first time because i've done it twice um i I, I I think the skills I had were limited. Um, I had um, I had probably acquired most of my skills for that race in the training camp that I that I co-led in Lanzarote in January before the race because there was some technical running there. But you know my my experience of technical running was was then quite limited um, because where I where I live is. Uh, it's completely flat mm. and um, mostly tarmac. So I was a good road runner, and you can get away with that in MDS because running on sand is much like running on the road, just a bit softer. Mm. But when there are lots of rocks and roots in the way, it's a different game. <laughs> yeah, it's different muscles as well, isn't it? When you're having to actually climb a lot um, mm. rather than yeah. dodge around things like the MDS. Um, yeah. And so do you think, is, I mean, does that appeal to you as much as desert running? Now that you've tried, you've done it a couple of times, is that something you're going to be looking to get better at to take on again? Or do you think desert running is more suited to you? Uh, so I think I think desert running is, is very much suited to me. And I think it's, uh, it's uh, partly because of the type of terrain, but also because they seem to be coping with the heat uh, and that type of heat. Um, very well so there's just something about it that makes it work for me Um, but um, I have become a much better technical runner and actually Mm. this year I have done uh, well the second part of this year at least I've done a lot of technical running Uh, so now I'm I'm very comfortable with it actually uh, and getting better and better, and I'm 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 enjoying it because I think it's uh, it's interesting. It challenges you in a different way. You have to you have to focus, uh, and you have to work on your brain and foot sort of communication and coordination. And it's it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah. I think I think as well as we get older, the times that we've been chasing through road running are slowly evaporating and so there's less on so you've got to you've always got to find something else to focus on so you can still be winning even if you're not necessarily improving your overall pace uh. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and uh, uh and it's interesting as well to think to develop mm. to develop yourself and try new things and also what it does is it takes you to some to, to some to- totally spectacular places and i've spent a lot of time in the mountains uh this year and uh it's fantastic yeah so back to last year back to the nds again yeah second win um which i mean the the field does seem to get stronger every year so 
in some ways, you know, even even more impressive to do it a second time round. Um, I mean, were you going in there thinking, I've got this, or were there still a few doubts after 2016? So I think after 2016, I felt I had to redeem myself and and that I couldn't come into the race without being as prepared as I could possibly be. And so I did everything I could to um, to carve out time to eliminate those things that I couldn't spend time on mm. um, and just focus on my preparation. And so um, so I was able to do that. Um, and uh, and I had a, f- a few months of very good training. So I was looking at all of the dis- different aspects of the race. So so I did my I did my training. I scrutinized my kit even more. I mean, I went over my kit so many times just to get it as light as it could possibly be. And I knew that before the race. I had to go out to Morocco earlier just to tune my body into the environment. Mm. Um, and I think I looked at the race in a more spiritual way as well um, that year. And I um, I felt like I was much more, it's very, I can hardly describe it, but I, I almost felt like I was, I was present in a different way and I was appreciating the environment and I felt like I draw strength from, you know, from the sand and the sun and the moon. And I, I yeah, it sounds like people go like, oh, what's he talking about? But it was, um, yeah, it was a mental preparation and the, and, the, and the spiritual kind of presence. And then the, the physical side was, was kind of spot on. Um, I had done my training right. I had done my taper right. And, um, and so I felt very confident when I came there. Yeah, and you mentioned that you'd even re-examined your kit from 2015. Um, mm. What were the changes then? Were you just going closer on the edges of your foil wrappers and trimming even more, or did you, there were some were there some fundamental things that you left behind or, or fundamental discoveries? I so I have always been an advocate of of having good sleep, right? Mm. And I never looked like skimmed on a sleeping mat but I decided to to go very light and I took um a sit mat as a sleeping mat so a seat um yeah just like a like a hip little hip pad oh okay yeah 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 um so a little foam um hip pad so that was a big weight saving because i think that weighed 55 grams compared to maybe 230 that Mm. my normal sleeping mat would weigh so that's 180 gram saving straight away um my backpack uh my backpack was in fairness very light already but i still managed to trim it down a bit um cutting a few straps a bit shorter and things um i i tried to find you know, to just I, I examined everything and see what I could trim off. So, for example, I had the the lighter sleeping bag already, the Yeti Fever Zero, which you know normally weighs about well, mine weighed two hundred and fifty two grams in a size medium. That's how much of a geek I am. I know <laughs> how much things weigh, and uh, <laughs> and I realized that I could take out the um, 
the elastic from it. You know, you have the elastic and the head opening. Oh yes. And yes. I um, elastic is elastic is quite heavy, so that's a good tip. Like generally, elastic is heavy, right? So I took out the elastic and I replaced it with a super light cord. It was non-elastic, but you don't need elastic cord in a sleeping bag. Um, so I replaced it with a super light cord, took the buckle off, and then I had it down to two hundred and thirty something grams. Um, so uh, then, you know, for for camp kit, I I decided to ha- go very very minimal. So I actually I think it's good if things can have a dual purpose. Mm. So I thought, well, I don't need to wear a buff all the time. So I can I can wear the buff as um, as a bra or like a crop top in camp. Um, <laughs> so that's just like not something that you know male listeners need not worry about this, but you know. <laughs> It's different for us women, right? We need uh, we need a bit of support. Um, so I uh, so I used my buff as a topping camp. My shorts were super super light, super super light hockey shorts, and I I think I cut out the inner shorts and I trimmed down the elastic, and I got them down to like thirty grams or something. And uh, so I I cut the edges of my alcohol wipes. And uh, because I still like to take some alcohol wipes. So things like that. Food. I mean, I, I, I'm a foodie. Food is important for me. If I have too little food, I get very grumpy. I don't mm. perform. So, so I, I took the food I needed, but I made it as light as possible and the packaging as light as possible and things like that. And how, because um, I'm, I'm slightly different to, I think, most people who are there at the MDS in that, nearly all of my calories I plow into eating when I'm running and mm-hmm. um, you know I'm having shot blocks the whole time having cliff bars at the end energy drinks do you where do you spread your calories throughout the day yeah so um, I have probably about 25% of calories uh, 20 to 25% of calories for breakfast and then I probably have about um something sim maybe something similar for the maybe it's like 20 for the running mm. so i have a, probably have less than you for the running and then when i finish i have a recovery so there would be typically some kind of recovery shake and maybe a little mm. snack and then um, um because i finish generally so fairly early mm. so it's almost like a late lunch when i finish then later in the afternoon i have another little snack um maybe you know not 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 massive maybe 200 calories or something and then i have dinner the dinner is probably 20 20 25% so i mean that should all up, add up to 100 i don't, I don't remember exactly <laughs> but but yeah i i spread it i spread it out i suppose um so it's uh yeah i have a decent breakfast i'm certainly not hungry after breakfast and uh, I think for me, it's important to just put the calories in throughout the whole day because um, I prefer to not eat very much when I'm running. It's mm. easier for me to not eat so much when I'm running. So. And is it the usual things you'd expect? Are you are you doing gels or um, high carbs during the race? Is it does it tend to be kind of porridges and your your uh, bars along those lines and things or? So generally, generally speaking, I probably have about um, between fifty and sixty percent of calories from carbohydrates, um, 
and when I run, it's probably like 95% from carbohydrates, mm. except for the long stage, take more fat for the long stage. Um, but um, yeah, otherwise, I guess it's uh, it's f- fairly balanced with breakfast and dinner. And mm. I, I think, um, uh, I personally think it's good to try and make your food as similar to what you eat at home as 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 possible or certainly not try something that's completely new so um for example i like to have coffee with breakfast so i have to have coffee in the race but i'm i'm perfectly happy drinking cold coffee because uh, i do that sometimes anyway you know make mm. a cup of coffee i forget about it and i go like oh here's my coffee then it's cold and i drink it anyway so that's okay um and maybe some i think i had some rye oat cakes actually i had a, a freeze-dried um smoothie from live food mm, yeah, they're, they're really nice. And so I try to, for me, I I try to focus on not so so much the calories, but mm. the nutrient value of the food, you know, because you can have a lot of calories with very poor nutritional mm. value. And that, by that, I mean vitamins and minerals. So I try mm. to focus on high quality food more than the amount of calories. Yeah, and I, I think especially the... A lot of people, when they take their meal out there, there can be some horrible ones that are thirty percent saturated fats, and you'd never—it's just not tasty to have at home. Let alone when it's in the sun and it's all sweaty and oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's really important, I think, that whatever you take, you need to feel like, yeah, this tastes good. I want mm. to, I want to eat this because if you don't, you know, I think you just set yourself up for a, for a less enjoyable and maybe difficult experience. Yeah, and I, I think you've got to enjoy your food out there and look forward to it as well because there's nothing worse than having day four and you're like, oh, this flavour again, and uh, yeah, force food in when you really should be, you know, lapping it up. Yeah, no, absolutely, you know, and you might sit there with, a, you know, you're on your fifth day on this horrible porridge that, you know, you don't even like, and then maybe, you know, your tent mate is having, I don't know, some nice curry or, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> variety is good, variety is good for food, yeah. And so, um, I mean, great success there, were there any... Were there any times during the race that you you felt it slipping, or did you feel in control from the start? Um, I felt it slipping on the long stage. So on the long stage, I think um, I think uh, well, I had about twenty twenty two minutes maybe lead mm. going into the long stage. It's not a lot for mm. you know when you're running for nine and a half ten hours. Um, and I think uh, Natalie McClare just um, she just went for it, you know, and she's good at that distance. So she ran off at this uh, ferocious pace, and I thought, well, is it clever to try and to try and and stick with her or not? I wasn't really sure. I like to run my own race, so I thought I'm gonna I'm probably gonna let her go, and hopefully I catch her later. But 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 keep at it, like not relax, you know. And then I got some reports along the way that, <laughs> you know, I think at one point someone was, oh, she's 16 minutes ahead of you. And I was like, oh, you know, then I just felt like, I felt like it was, I, I, I was losing it. And I, mm. 
I, I thought I have to have some margin for the marathon. I don't want the marathon to be to be this this race where I have mm. to catch her. So I, I didn't want that. But uh, so I just kept, you know, I just kept moving forward. There's nothing else you can do really. You put one foot in front of the other, and uh, and um, I think the final. 20 kilometers or so were um, pretty runnable, like some kind of, of gravel road. You don't really see in the dark, but yeah, I got that feeling that I was running on some kind of road. And um, and I just kept going and kept going and kept going. And I had one way saving I had made, which in hindsight was um, very stupid, was I had to replace the elastic for my head torch with um, <laughs> a much lighter elastic. So it was quite thin. And so as a result, my head torch kept falling off the elastic. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and it was really annoying. Um, so it was good that, that I didn't need to use it for more than one stage. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do that that mistake again. Um, but anyway, um, I I came to the finish and I thought, well, you know, I wonder how this has gone, kind of thing. And I crossed the finish line, and then and then Natalie was there, and she was giving interviews, and then. Someone shouted, oh, there's Elizabeth. And all the journalists just turned to me. And then Natalie turned her head. And like her facial expression was priceless. Like her jaw just dropped. And she was like, she was thinking, oh, no. And then she very quickly collected herself and smiled and congratulated me. And, you know, and so in the, I think I had lost like, yeah, like a minute and a half. So I had actually gained back a lot of time. Um, oh, so, wow, I, yeah. so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was really, really happy about that. And I still had... I still had about 20 minutes for the for the final stage. And do you think so. she had her spies on the course as well who were updating her on your presence? So. I don't know actually because it's a little bit more difficult to get mm. that when you're running in the lead. So I'm not I'm not too sure yeah. about that. Um, I don't know, but uh, yeah, that was I felt then I felt a bit more positive, and then mm. the marathon she was still. Uh, I was in the lead for half of it, but then she passed me and she was quite strong the second half. But then I sort of knew that mm. she wouldn't be able to to take 20 minutes in a half marathon. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think actually as, as races go, it's far better to, to win it that way than to not have, to, to not feel like you've had really good competition. Cause you, yeah, yeah. You, you treasure it so much more, I think. Absolutely, I had to work very, very hard, and and every day I, I you know had my little ritual. I I took a few moments for myself in the morning, and you know like a mini mini meditation, a little bit of a warm up, and yeah, I just you know put myself in the right place place mentally um, before every day, and and uh, and I think that was really important. Um, I, I mean, I did have a little mishap because I fell over like I like I do once in a while, and I I cut my knee open. I just I just uh, landed with my knee on this really 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 sharp uh, knife-like stone, I think, and it just cuts and sliced my knee open. And uh, um, luckily, it didn't slice anything more than flesh. So mm. when I finished that stage, they stitched me with five or six stitches. But then. Um, I got sand in it on the long stage. So after the long stage, um, I they had to open it up. So so that was interesting because I was in the I was in the medical tent. No one was particularly busy because not very many people had finished yet, right? So there was the there was a doctor um, 
opening up my wound again. Um, there was me throwing up in a paper bag because I felt really ill. <laughs> and then like seven uh, something like volunteers like standing around just looking at everything. <laughs> Actually, I've always wondered, when you, when you throw up at something like the Marathon de Sapla, you've obviously got a limited calorie intake. Is there a little bit of you that thinks, I need this back in me? You know, I think I, I think in every Marathon de Sable I've done, after the long stage, I've been vomiting. I think it's just the sheer effort of it. Mm. Um, and I think at that point, frankly, yes, you know, some stuff comes up, but... But I think you have been running for nearly 10 hours mm. hard in the heat. You have consumed so much energy. I think I think what's left in there is probably doesn't really matter if it comes up. Or not, you yeah. know? And I always make a point of having a meal for finishing after finishing the long stage. So so I know I'm going to be a bit ill and I know it's going to pass and then I'm going to eat. So. Oh, so you, don't, you, you save your your main food until you've had it. Yeah. So you get out of the way. Okay. <laughs> so now then, where, yeah. where, um, where do you see yourself going with, with the MDS and, and with other races then? Is this now your kind of talisman where you think you'll be doing it for life because, you, you know, it, you are so attuned with it? Or will it only have its appeal while you're still at the level that you are currently? You know, I think it would be extremely refreshing to come to MDS with no expectations of of a placing whatsoever. That would be a fantastic experience, you know, because because running a race with the pressure of winning is is very hard mm. and and it's a different experience. You know, I can't stop and take a photo of a camel or you know Mm. it's like I just have to run um, and and it's it's fantastic that I am able to do it and and I, I do enjoy it of course but um, I would also very much enjoy going to a race and and just being able to plod around it without any pressure and yeah but do you so, think you train hard enough without the pressure of knowing you have to, to to win. Oh well, I mean that depends. Like training is always relative to what you want to achieve, right? Mm. It's like my, it's like it's like most of my coaching clients, well, not most, but many of my coaching clients ask me, you know, oh, you know, like how am I going to fit in the training for MDS? Like, do I not need to do hundred mile weeks? And 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 uh, you know, or if I don't, I'm going to die. And you know, of course, you know. Of course you're not, you know, it's like, uh, the, the effort you put in is relative to what you want the output to be, mm. um, but also it's individual. And so so I could put in a lot less training and still have a good race. It's just that I wouldn't, you know, run it in 23 hours. Mm. And you so <laughs> do you, you will keep on coming back then and um, just having a different experience each time? So my plan is to come back um, to come back next year. So mm. um, this year I I can I was due to run it, but I cancelled it because I had to take a bit of a break. My body was run down at the beginning of the year. I cancelled my races, and um, now I I feel good again. I'm motivated, so I would 
uh, I would like to go back and of course you know I'm gonna I hope I can have a good few months of training and come back in in good shape um, and have another good good race and uh, I now that I have um, I, I feel like I am diversifying myself a bit as a runner and I I really enjoy like I said the more technical the more technical courses and so um, I think that I will be doing a mountain race of some sort in the second half of the year I'm just not sure which one uh, yet <laughs> and are there any other big races on your bucket list um you know that's a good that's a good question um i would i would like to run western states um so of course um i don't know if that's going to happen because it's very difficult to to get a place but i think it's a course that would suit me actually oh interesting <laughs> and um yeah well because you've you haven't done as many of the single state races since, have you? So no. that's that's returning to your two thousand and thirteen, fourteen days. Yeah, yeah. So I um, I was in Oman recently, and I was going to do the um, oh, yeah. UTMB mm-hmm. Oman. Yeah, um, I I had actually wrecked the whole course. I was very comfortable with the technical terrain. Um, it's very very technical. One of the most technical races out there. Um, of that distance, but um, I had a bad, had a really, really bad day. I felt it already from the start, and after eight hours, I was throwing up, and I was just like, "It's not going to happen. It's not my day." So I decided to to pull out. I think it was the right decision because then I got the really sore throat and was quite ill. Um, so I think if I hadn't done that, I would have done myself some longer-term damage. But it was very unfortunate, actually, because I was looking forward to it. I was well-prepared, so, yeah. And are you having hmm. to change your training from something like MDS to doing these 100 miles? Is it substantially different? Yeah, it's quite different. Um, I've been doing uh, this year, uh, second part of the year, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, hiking fast hiking um and running combo uh in the mountains so very different ah, of course so you just i guess replicating more what you'll be doing during the race then yeah 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 that makes sense um well going from your races onto your expertise in kit which we've we've discussed a little bit of your um what you've used but obviously you day-to-day job see people from the front of the pack to the back of the pack all types of races so we'd love to dig in a little bit on your knowledge there um we've had quite a few questions from the group but in terms of if you were to compare for example the type of kit that some at the front of the mds would use to some at the back i mean what would you say were the main things to consider if you're that are different between those two sure so so first of all i think if you're um well if you're if you're at the front of the pack of course weight is your number one priority Mm. and and you're i think would say generally you're willing to make some sacrifices like i did with my sleeping mat okay i could have slept more comfortably but I decided to save that weight and I knew that I would still be able to sleep. Whereas if you're on the back of the pack, 
you I think it's still important to to minimize the weight of your equipment, but within the context of what you want to achieve from the race. Um, being in the back of the pack is not an excuse to load your backpack with nice-to-have stuff because all of a sudden that pack is going to weigh maybe 12 to 15 kilos or more uh, when it can weigh eight and all you do is make the race a lot harder. Mm. So I have seen people having to pull out because they had they were carrying too much. And every kilo, I would say every half kilo, um, you, you definitely notice it. So, so back of the pack, um, I think, you know, what do you want to achieve from the race? You probably want to have a good time. You know, you don't want to be cold. Take a warm enough sleeping bag. Take a comfortable sleeping mat. Um, if if enjoying the race means having hot food, take a stove. You know, heat your food. Um, it it can be a fantastic morale booster. Um, so things that a racer will forego because they want to go lighter, you might take. Um, but that said, I don't think you should be taking a phone, certainly not the heavy phone. Um, I don't think you should be taking lots of gadgets that you need to charge and a heavy charger and um, uh, you don't need a lot of extra clothing. Um, you need food, but... I mean, I think a lot of people take way too much food. So yeah, I think it's very easy to you. You actually, it's surprising how unhungry you are, given how little you eat while you're there. And I think actually, you the people that pack don't pack don't realise that, that if they did take a lot less, they would be absolutely fine and it wouldn't impact their performance. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, so, so you should scrutinize your kit and, and you know, you, you shouldn't think that you will be starving and, in, in, you, you know, you won't. So I think that's, that's important. But, but also what's important is to, to try and understand um, the race, uh, the sort of day structure. Because if you're a fast racer, you might be done by lunchtime. Um, and then you have the whole afternoon to hang around in camp. So I think that sort of influences how you plan your food and um, and maybe some other stuff you choose to take or not take. But the racer will basically finish, have some recovery to eat, whether that's a recovery shake, whether you cook up a lunch like the Moroccans do or whatever. But then, you know, you just want to lay around in the tent, your feet up and recover for the next day. That's pretty much it. And nibble on some things and, and just take it easy. Um, whereas if you're back of the pack, um, you're going to be out on your feet at least three times as long as someone who's at the front. Um, what does that mean? Well, you're going to be out there going at um, maybe not super high intensity, but still going to be hard because it's really, really hot and you're carrying your gear. And you're going to be walking and, 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 and running um, the whole day and then you're going to finish. You're going to have minimal time in camp to do stuff. So then 
you might not even need a recovery shake. Just cook up your dinner as much as possible. Focus on having lots of snacks for, for the whole day that are suitable for walking and running. Um, and then you have to decide whether you're going to be self-sufficient with your feet or whether you're going to go to dog trotters or whether it's a combination. But whatever you do, you know, as so, a so back of the packer, you have to be really, really slick uh, mm. when you cross the finish line. Um, there's no time to lay around with your feet up, you know, you eat, you go to dog trotters, you get your feet sorted. Um, if you have any other problems, you get them seen to, you prepare your gear for the next day and you go to bed and that's it. No. Um, I guess you, you need to take a little bit more kind of complex carbs and potentially even protein during the day because you do need protein to recover and you're not going to get it all at night. Yes, yes, you need some, I definitely think that's right. I mean, I, I certainly, if I was, if I was walking the MDS and then, you know, if I was on my feet for eight hours a day or more, uh, 10, I mean, I, I wouldn't be getting uh, my fuel from, from sugar, that's for sure. It would be, um, it would be more, more savory, more more mix of carbs, fats, proteins, things that I knew that I could eat even if I felt a little bit ill. And um, yeah, so that's a very good point. Yeah, and and I've I'm, I always get asked about trainers and feet and all things like that. And I really I'm not very ex- I don't have much expertise in that area just because I wear the lightest thing that I can get for free basically, and it always seems to be fine. <laughs> But um, what what would you say? I know the MDS. There's there's always a huge amount of debate, even amongst the supposed supposed experts. I mean, are there certain brands that you'd push towards, push away from, and are there certain styles of shoes that you'd recommend for the kind of front, middle, and back of the pack? Um, I think that you you can run in a lot of different shoes. There's no right or wrong answer. Um, but what I would what I would say is that someone who's running at the front could run in anything. Um, a light road shoe, uh, racing weight shoe um, is, is absolutely fine for someone at the front. Um, that type of shoe may not work for someone who is mid pack or back of the pack for the reason that the sole of the shoe is not going to last. So so what's important to understand about the MDS is that yes it's in a desert, but a desert is not just sand. Mm. Some deserts are. So you can be in a desert race and and you might not even see any wear or tear on your shoes after the race. Um but if you're in the Sahara, you have a lot of sharp rocks, um, some vegetation, and they're going to rip the soles. So, so if you if you run very light on your feet, like the front runners do, it's not an issue, and you spend less time on your feet. But if you're back of the pack, what happens? Um, you're probably heavier. Um, your backpack is heavier. You're walking more. You're not lifting your feet as much. You're kind of shuffling, and and all those combinations um, have a massive impact on the on the shoe. So you need to look for a shoe with um, a fairly, I think, a fairly robust sole. Um, some toe protection is good because you're going to kick some rocks. Um, 
and it should be an appropriate size. People always say, oh, should I go up one size? Should I go up two sizes? Um, I think you need to have a good fit for your foot. If you have a shoe that's too long, your foot is going to move back and forth. If you have a foot that's, uh, a shoe that's too wide, your foot is going to move sideways in the shoe. Both very, very bad. It's a risk for blisters. Um, if your shoes are too small and your feet swell a bit, well, that's also bad. So I would say you should just have the width of your thumb or thumb's nail somewhere in between those in front of your longest toe. If you have that room, it's fine, whatever that means. Because you can't say, you know, it's very common to say, oh, I've heard I should go up one size. Well, what is that? Because A, what is your normal size? Do you normally run in really small shoes? Do you normally run in a generous size for you? So that is the first thing. We don't know that. Um, the second thing that there's misunderstandings is what is one or two sizes? Because one UK size up is not necessarily the same mm -hmm. as one euro size up. So, um, so then there's confusion there. So just more have enough room in front of the toes, make sure the shoe is snug enough fit around the rest of the foot. And I think you should be fine. So that's, that's basically what I would like to say about shoes. I don't really want to, I mean, I can talk about different brands, but I think there are a lot, there are a lot of brands that can be good for MDS. Um, I would maybe avoid these shoes that have sort of hollow soles where sand can come in from the side into mm. the sole. I think that's very bad. Um, and the, those types of soles are not going to last the race. And um, um, how, how, does, how does socks fit into this? Because there's, there's now an increasing range of socks, individuals, two-layered wearing two socks have you got any wisdom on that um what seems to work really well for a lot of people is to uh is to wear the um in gingy toe socks and uh, they do a thin liner sock and then you can have another sock on top of that um and if that sock is not too thick, I think it's not going to be too warm for most people. That seems to be a combination that works for a lot of people. But, but I think it's important to try and see if you think it works, if it works for you. Um, but when you double sock, with, first with the toe socks is that they, um, they wick away moisture from, from your feet quite well and from between your toes. And, and they can reduce blisters um, the resulting from the toes rubbing so I think that's that's good um, and then when you double sock um, you can also reduce uh, friction in the shoe because you have a little bit of movement between the socks so uh, so that seems to work well um, for that reason um, I have worn that combination in the past a lot myself and, and now I more recently I've worn it a lot for hiking which works really for me to fill out the shoes a bit more so my feet don't move around because I have very narrow feet um, otherwise from personally for the MDS now I would use a single sock um, so more like for road running yeah, so that works for me um, but, but most importantly I think pick a good a good quality sock and a sock that wicks well and and probably a sock with a little bit of cushioning even though that's personal preference and yeah so bear in mind is if you're at the back of the pack it makes a huge difference to how hot your feet get because you're you've got your um you want not waders what they called the uh the sand stop the, 
gators. The gators, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and depending on how long you're out there for, those can sometimes trap heat and then it, it creates very different issues for your foot. So um, when you're at the back of the pack, do you think about that more? Um, going into some of the questions we've got from uh, mm-hmm. the do-batters, half of them are utterly useless as ever and silly jokes. So I've got to try and wade through the ones which are sensible. <laughs> Um, one one of the ones I liked actually was who was it from? It was uh, which from Ross Hay. What type of kit? And uh, it could be brand, you say, it doesn't have to be. But what do you get returned the most at my race kit? What do we get returned the most? Mm. Either because people use it, don't want it, or because it breaks. Okay. Okay, I have a, I have a winner, so I'm going to name and shame. <laughs> it's the, it's the WAA um, oh, no. backpack. <laughs> they are terrible. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I still haven't. Un- I still don't know who those guys are. All I know is they give you a free backpack at the, at the MBS that no one ever uses, other than people who deeply regret it. Yeah, yeah, they've they've stopped doing that now. But no, and then okay, so I I should be fair to them and say that they in the 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 current season of the backpack they have corrected the the big problem with if you were to find it's really team line be suspicious um, <laughs> and um, they have uh, issues. <laughs> and when, yeah. when you're choosing a backpack, I mean what. What should people really look for to ensure that it's right for them? Um, so, really, you should um, you should ideally try the backpack on. Um, in our, I, I realize a lot of people have to buy online. In our shop, for example, we have a treadmill, and, and we get people to test the packs with with um, waiting um, to see how they feel running because. Um, Everybody runs differently, and so, um, for example, if you if you bounce a lot up and down when you run, if you have a high um, vertical oscillation, as it's called, the pack might be um, bouncing a bit more up and down. Some people have a twist sideways um, when they run; then that could cause the pack to bounce sideways. Um, we all have different builds. You know, some people have narrow shoulders or skinny. Some people have broader shoulders. Um, and abroad generally, we have different heights. And so um, all of those things influence how the backpack fits. And then, of course, for women, we have other issues. Right? So, um, so I have seen a lot of people try on backpacks now, and I can look at someone and go, well, that pack might suit you, but this pack definitely won't. Most, mostly I'm right. And, uh, of course, when you buy a pack, you may not know that. But if you can get yourself to a shop and get some advice or um, um, or email before you buy to, to get some advice, then that can help. And then if you have to buy online, be, you know, narrow it down to a couple of models, buy both, try them at home and send back the one you don't want. I mean, it's, I think it's really, really important that a backpack is comfortable. You shouldn't go on... What, it, what color it is or, or someone else recommends it. I see this all the time in the forums and it really annoys me. People go like, what's the best backpack? And then everybody shouts out, it's this one, it's this one, it's this one. You can't say that. You have to ask, well, 
how tall are you? What do you weigh? Like, you know, what are you going to have in it? What are you going to use it for? Like, it's there's so many things. Um, mm. So it's not it's not very very simple. But there are many good backpacks now, and some are better than others. Some some fit on more people than other packs. <laughs> and I think even if you you are the same, uh, you run the same, you look the same as someone else. I mean, I've, I've got probably four different backpacks that I'd use depending on what the race was or what the need was and they all have very different purposes in in how I use them and so yeah it it can be incredibly complex how would you what would you recommend for bottles and for water for people in general because you've you've got some people who bladder at the back some people who have water bottles at the front and some people who are hard bottles soft bottles did you think there's a one system that seems to be better than the others so I think it depends again a bit about a bit on who you are, but um, I think a bladder is generally impractical for a race um, situation um, because uh, because you have to get it out of the pack, which is a problem when the pack is fully packed, mm. um, and even more difficult to get it back in. So that with that you spend a lot of unnecessary time at checkpoints. Um, also, you can't actually see how much what you have left. Um, and it might be slightly more difficult to keep it clean during, um, at least during a week, like if you do a long race. So I would say for me, bladder, great for training, not so great for racing. Um, bottles, so then that leaves us with bottles. Um, bottles, well, I, I prefer hard bottles personally for a race and the reason for that is that I think they are much quicker to refill at checkpoints. If you want to mix in some kind of powder, it's much easier to do that in a hard bottle than a soft bottle. Um, and they're easy to keep clean. And So I, I prefer that for racing, but soft bottles are much more comfortable to wear because they shape the body. Um, but soft bottles in a multi-stage race is a risky affair because they they mm. are much more vulnerable and they can split um, or break in other ways. Um, so, yeah, I like soft bottles for training, hard bottles for racing, bladders I only use if I'm in a very, very hot place training and I need to be out for a day with no opportunity of refilling water and maybe I have to carry, you know, for five liters of water and I will take a bladder. But Kind of linking into that, the previous question about the, the backpack. So Paul Alvin has been asking about race vests and is is there a, a preferred way or a way you'd recommend that they sit? Because some people wear them where they're, the weights on the front, the weights on the shoulders, the weights on the back is you know is is it dependent on the vest or is there a, a way to pack and select your vest that's then optimal? Oh, I think that's quite difficult because because it depends what you what you carry with you, I suppose, and it very much depends on the situation, the type of race or training you're doing. Um, I think a vest with a very snug fit body, it doesn't actually matter that much, mm. but generally balancing the weight a bit between the front and the back, I think, is the is the best. And most vests will sit better if they have um, a certain amount of gear inside without being overloaded. So I think it's actually quite important to pick the right size vest, um, both in terms of the your 
the fit to your body. Most vests now come in maybe three different sizes. Um, so that's the one thing, but also the capacity. So if you're mostly going to use a vest with, say, well, if you're mostly going to need five to six liters capacity or something, don't buy 14 because then you're not going to fill it up and things are just going to bounce around. So, um, yeah, I realize that not everybody can have like maybe three different sized vests for different occasions, but um, but try as much as possible to to make it fit to what you need, I think. And, I don't know if that makes sense. Well, I think if you, unless you're doing these really, really big races, you can probably get away with having just one vest or having one stuff yeah. pack rate. And so if you are going to do a multi-day race or if you are doing a 100 miler, then it probably is worth investing in the right vest or the right backpack for that race because it will make a you know massive difference rather than just using the one you've got anyway. Um, yes, Yes, for sure, for sure. And that's, you know, for example, a lot of people who do MDS, they, they start with buying their MDS backpack because, of course, it's a key piece of kit. Hmm. But then if you do all your runs with a 20-liter, 25-liter backpack, you know, that's that's not going to be practical because, A, you shouldn't be running runs with a full backpack. You're going to get injured in about two weeks, if not before. And um, it's not very comfortable to run without pack empty it's just going to bounce around so then really what i think you need if you can is to have you have that pack for the occasional long run of the race but then you have a smaller race vest for your long training runs so then um we've got a question from vanessa harmond to do with trail shoes and she is wondering what type of do you need different trail shoes based on the distance you're running. I guess we've got UTM being the top and the 510k race at the bottom. Do they do they have different requirements? Uh, yes, they yes, I think they do. So, um, first so so for distance um, well, you don't necessarily need a different shoe for different distance, but for a shorter distance, you can get away with a lot less cushioning. Um, and you can also get away with a smaller size shoe. Um, so, for example, if you're doing a cross-country race, you need to have a shoe that's a really good, snug fit. Um, and I mean, you also need incredibly good grip. But if you run a longer race... Um, you, you might need to think about having a bit more cushioning in the sole because your feet are going to take a big, a big beating. You're going to be out for a long time. And you probably need a bit more room, particular toe box. Um, again, because you're going to be out for a very long time. Um, and your feet might swell a little bit. And so, uh, so that's the difference for different distances. But I think maybe the more interesting question is, well... What different type of trail shoes do you need for different surfaces? Because there's a whole variety mm-hmm. of different surfaces. And that's probably um, just as important, if not more important. Particularly, if you go, are you going to go on dry trail or wet mm-hmm. trail? I mean, that's a really important thing to know. Because if your shoe is adapted to dry trail and then you start running on wet rock, chances are that rubber is not going to stick. So... Yeah. yeah, and that's that. I mean, that's one of the most frustrating things going into races is where you can't make the decision, and uh, it seems like the biggest decision in the world. So you, you've got to go of one pay or the other. Um, but um, yeah, 
a, a, it's a compromise it's always a compromise yeah and i think especially if you're then looking into the shoe and there are so many variations now even within one brand that yeah it, it can be tricky to make the right decision um are there any bits of kit that you think the listeners probably don't know of or haven't heard of that are actually pretty useful that you've come across oh um wow that's a, that's a <laughs> that's, a, hard that's question. a question i haven't yeah. really thought about yeah um, or, or any things that when people come into the shop they think oh wow yeah i hadn't thought of this or actually this was really useful or things that people overlook people some people get really excited about the titanium spoons <laughs> i got i got one in my in my jaw they're brilliant <laughs> um, um i i don't know but i i don't know if there's anything that like super special otherwise but hmm. but some things that i actually really like my myself is um, that I've worn a lot recently and maybe it's not the first piece of kit you go to but it's winter um, I have a pair of um, uh, Gore-Tex shorts and they are super so you, you just pull them over your running tights and it's great because they don't restrict movement but they protect you from from rain and cold where you need it without covering the whole leg. I, I really do not like wearing um, full-length waterproof trousers. I think it's horrible. Um, but so these, these Gore-Tex shorts are absolutely brilliant. Um, and then I get really cold hands and wrists, and I have a pair of um, fleece uh, wrist warmers, and they are super. Um, yeah. So they're like... Yeah, they're like a headband for the wrist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow, and that and would you wear those with gloves as well? Yeah, so I might have a th- let's say a, a, maybe a slightly thinner glove, and then I have them over, and so they give a little extra warmth to my hand. But then um, I still have you know a good freedom of movement for my fingers, and that, um, and they and they warm my wrists because your if your wrists are exposed, you get cold really quickly. Um, so it's important to keep the wrists warm and and you might it might be easy to have a gap there because maybe the sleeves of your jacket are not long enough or you know um and so so yeah i think that's a, that's a great piece of kit for uh for winter um and then i have um i have a favorite a firm favorite and it's something that i mean a lot of people know about sunglasses right we all wear sunglasses for for running but um uh, i started wearing a brand called shields in 2011 it's a german brand and they do these modular sunglasses where the frame is like super light um it fits on really many many faces and you just pick your color and then you add you add a lens to it and there are lots of different choices of lenses and so it's like a modular system and uh, yeah i think it's like the best running sunglasses i've ever tried um so those those are really great. Not a lot of people know about them unless you unless you're German, I guess. <laughs> and would, so. I don't know enough about running sunglasses. Actually, are there is there a different need of lenses potentially, even um, amongst races where you might want a different one for the desert to something like the po- you know the Arctic or, or is it more that you can choose the lenses for the for your eyes based on your the glasses you'd wear. 
No, so well, that's that's one thing that you can have um, you can have um, prescription inserts, but but uh, no, there are different lenses. So, for example, um, if I run, um, let's say in um, somewhere where maybe I actually it's not very sunny. Let's say it's maybe in woods or something where there's a lot of vegetation, but potentially a lot of bugs like flies and mosquitoes and things. I like to have a clear lens because then I know I'm not going to get any flies in my eyes, mm. which is extremely annoying if that happens. Right. So, um, so then you have a really no change in vision, but you have eye protection. Um, and my, my, my favorite go-to lens for technical trail is an orange lens. And what that does is it enhances contrast. So it actually makes it easier to see the rocks on the trail. Um, also, it's quite nice because the grass gets greener, the sky gets clearer, <laughs> and so everything looks like, like really, really nice. <laughs> oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then... Um, Otherwise, for mountains, I have also have a red lens that I like. So again, it's a little bit contrast enhancing, but gives more some more some protection than the orange lens. Um, I personally don't really like running in a really dark brown lens unless I'm in the desert or in very very strong sunlight because I think it like limits what I see. Um, so on technical trail, I would never choose the, a dark lens. Um, mm. But so the red and the orange are perfect because they give enough sun protection, but then you also enhance the contrast and and helps you actually running. So yeah, there's there's a lot going in glasses. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, would you be tempted to say you, you do get through the Western States, but to maybe even take two lenses with you and switch them halfway through the day? Uh, potentially, potentially, I I do sometimes take two lenses. Um, yeah, depending. Mm. Oh, that, well, I mean, that's yeah. I've not heard of those, so I'll, I'll be looking into those. Um, and is, is there any kit that doesn't exist yet that, if you had a magic wand, where you could just create anything that you'd be like, "This is what I'd make." Oh, um, well, I, I, I don't know. I think um, I don't know. If my imagination is sort of good enough to come up with stuff like that, actually. But, uh, um, I mean, one thing I find uh, I find incredibly annoying is, like, battery life in, in watches. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's something I would like to see improve because you just um, – sometimes you just have to carry too much stuff. Like, it's uh, – it's unnecessary or you know i love my um bluetooth headphones like they're absolutely brilliant and then they last like five hours i mean yeah so stuff like that um but that that's gonna come in time that's gonna come in time but um yeah otherwise i mean of course it would be nice to have a race vest that you know you could reach everything in the back without taking it off and stuff mm, like that but mm. yeah absolutely and I've, I've always wanted to have a jacket where when it's windy but it's a, a headwind a sort of tailwind you can suddenly kind of open up the jacket and it acts a little bit like a kite so it pushes you forward even more than the wind yeah. itself so something nice. like that nice yeah. one <laughs> yeah it's like those yeah. Uh, flying flying squirrels that type of a yeah, yeah yeah 
I'll have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank yeah. you so Self-heating much. Self-heating socks, maybe, would be nice. I get quite cold feet, so... Yeah, I can always do with anything warm. Well, probably not in the desert, but uh, that's maybe why you're drawn to it. Because you, you know you're not yeah. really cold too much out there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Coffee Forecast. Is there anything else that you, you think would be useful for people to kind of know or that, um, that you'd like to push yourself? <laughs> Uh, I don't know, really. I mean, I, uh, I, um, no, I mean, in, in terms of, in terms of kit, I think, uh, we try to keep, uh, most things we like at my race kit and I, we always appreciate feedback. So, uh, you know, if you shop from us, something that you don't want or is something you think we should stock, then I, I would be, uh, happy to know, um, or the team would be happy to know, um, and uh, I, uh, in terms of myself, I mean, I try to write about my adventures. I have a blog coming out about my recent uh, fast hiking trip in Nepal, the Three Passes Trek. So, um, yeah, and maybe head over to my... <laughs> Sorry? What's the web address? Uh, it's, yeah, so that's uh, elizabethbarnes.com. Uh, and I I do put... Um, I, I, I always put something on Instagram when when it's uh when i have something to share so so uh so yes yeah, so if you want to head over to um elizabeth barnes on instagram then you will keep up to date with what i'm up to uh, <laughs> and i guess if uh if you're doing a race and you want coaching i do i do coaching um online coaching so a little plug for that yeah, I think that's it. I don't know the Instagram, but all the rest I'd highly recommend. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. I knew it was going to be a long one just because uh, you've got so much information for to share. So uh, good luck with the training. Good luck with the XMDS. Good luck with qualifying for Western States. And um, well, we'll see you <laughs> yeah. at some point in the future, no doubt. And let us know if there's anything the podcast can do to, to help you. Thank you so much, David. It was great to be on. My Fantastic. Friend. Thanks, Elizabeth. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Oh, that was interesting. Having to spoken to uh, to Danny before I did my MDS and tried to get all his tips. Yeah. And you think, well, you just can't lose any more weight going into this. And I bet she's, I bet she still hasn't told us all the secrets. I bet she's got a few more. I bet she's probably <laughs> going to make a few, a few more refinements as well before before she's happy if, if you are ever truly happy you know, <laughs> um... the uh, the thing is it's really funny because i think something like the mds is for a lot of people that's the it sounds a bit weird but it's the first time that they do a, a race like that that is multi-day mm. in an environment that that is technically hostile yeah. and so thinking about kit in a way that they've never thought about kit and having to and, and probably not ever getting a chance to test it beforehand in that environment as well. And mm. so you you rely heavily on other people's suggestions, which makes you suggestible, especially if you're inexperienced at doing that. So to have to have those that kind of resource, because um, I remember when I when I did it, I I phoned up um, uh, Likes and uh, because they one of the few people that sold sold the right kit. And I just had mm. a conversation for an hour with um, uh, with the guys there, and they Stuart? just said, "Oh, yeah. you need this, you need that, and the, you know stuff like that." Um, but but you know, the, it, it's kind of like another level now. Um, yeah, and you're thing. right, actually, in that it, it's also the first 
sign that people you consider nutrition before you do a race but actually you never have to consider the weight of nutrition and the the no. overall balance of nutrition on, on you know on ultras you you might do these longer races but the vast majority of people take their favorite thing and then and just stuff everything in their face when they get to a table, whatever's there. Um, you know, that, that is as far as nutrition goes. And actually, that's probably all you, you need if you're looking to just finish these big ultras. But yeah, the, the difference there and also the difference between the front and back of the pack, because on other ultras, the nutrition might be slightly different. But in marathons, the gels that um, Mo Farah or Kipchoge are using are the same as the ones at the back of the pack and the trainers are using the same you know every, everything's the same really it's just the time and how many you take whereas this is where everything is completely different if you're hiking or if you're yeah. if you're going to be out the long day for two yeah, days and absolutely and so it, it then means there are all these differing viewpoints and, and there are different experts and it's not as easy as thinking i'm just going to copy the quickest person because it's not going to ne- necessarily work for you so it makes it so much more complex yeah but it's i mean it's it's really interesting to hear uh, talk about um talk about the because i think you can i mean i don't know if it particularly suits someone that's like ocd or or or, or, or when he gets into that but i know that i became obsessed with it with spreadsheets and everything and i'm not that kind of person you know knowing what i'm mm. like now uh, where you know I rock up to a race two minutes before and hope everyone else has sorted stuff <laughs> out for me. But when I when I did that, I was you know it, I had like spreadsheets with weights on it and, and things like that because it's it, it was it was it was that important. Um, and 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 I suppose like the, the other thing about the kit as well, the, like the kit and the, and, and the like things like the weight and the nutrition and everything has changed so much and continues to change as these race like these type of races become more popular. Mm. Um, and uh but but again a lot of it's to do with where do you put your focus if, if it's your first time doing this you, know, you can spend a lot of time focusing on nutrition stuff and forget you know that actually you, you might be better spent losing a bit of weight or, or where do you, or, or where do you put your on. money yeah absolutely that's it well you know a new pair of trainers is it buying some really lovely like freeze-dried lyco food or lyco food even um or is it on heat chambers or getting a a coach um entering races you've got practice it it all adds up and for most people you've got to make choice it's it's the thing is these things suit suit posh boys don't they that's why there's so many posh boys (laughs) doing well at the mds well i i might be going in fact i think i've pretty much decided i'm gonna i'm going out to do another version of the mds Another, another version of this year. Make, you, make, you make it sound like you're doing it as one half of a pantomime horse or something. <laughs> do, what, what, what version of the MDS are you going to do? Well, I think I've mentioned it before, but Ultra X in Mexico. Oh, it's okay. November. So, yeah, I just think that's really nice time of the year, actually, to be getting fit towards the end of the summer. So you don't have to train for the whole of the summer. It's only when October, November comes, that, that, well, September, October, that you're really hitting the high miles, which I quite like. And also Mexico, that's got to be pretty cool. You're going you're gonna to find buried bodies and there's going to be weird stuff that's happening in the Mexican desert, that's for sure. Um, yeah. So going to sign up to that. I think that we're going to have a, a do better discount or hopefully try and convince someone like Gila or a few others to come join me because uh, the first time they're doing it. And um, yeah, I want to see run, Central who's running that, America. That's Ultra X, Sam, my, 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 
my flatmate, uh, sorry, flatmate, my tent mate at the MDS. He set up the Ultra X series. So you've probably heard of the Wadi Rum yep. Ultra. So Sarah Thompson won that last year. Um, there's a few do betters, I think, who've already been. That was their first off thing, and they're now creating this kind of Ultra series. So there's, I think it's Sri Lanka, we've got Jordan. They're going to do Bolivia at 2020. Um, there's a couple of other places as well. But I think the, the, the idea behind it is can we create an MDS that is not three and a half thousand pounds? And the answer is yes. <laughs> so, three, three, 3,400 instead. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it's something like 800, 900 pounds, depending on which one, which actually what's not bad going. Yeah. Eight, eight or 900 pounds. What for like five days? Yeah. 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 So you still really got to sort out flights and kit, but it's, and that's the thing you do forget MDS includes oh, yeah. the chartered flight, which is, which is good because it's nice to still travel together. But then at the same point, it does restrict your, your times to those specific days. And um, I think the beauty of having them in, in countries like Jordan and you know, Sri Lanka, Mexico are, these are all some of the most beautiful places on earth, most interesting places on earth. Yeah. So, so, yeah, um, and so yeah actually you, you, it's you can use it as a as a holiday as well yeah yeah absolutely and for someone like myself as well hopefully it means i can try and uh, get airline to uh, to pay for an article so i don't even have to pay for flights which would be uh very 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 good for me right now <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i'm, I'm going to sign up when i i, I can't remember where i've got to uh, what i've got to do but um I'll, I'll set up a Facebook group and invite people to do it and get a discount and things. But yeah, I think I'm going to have to listen to this episode a few more times just to remind myself of all the things I've forgotten about running through deserts and over mountains and things. That sounds amazing. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Well, um, it's been quite a long episode, but hopefully one which is really, really useful. We've actually got quite a few um, technical episodes in a row, Damien Hall's coming up, Nicky Spinks coming up, um, Courtney, uh, what's Courtney's, Dewalter. We never know how to pronounce it. <laughs> so the, they're, they're all quite technical, aren't they? Um, so strap in, basically, get buy yourself a nice notepad for the next few weeks. I think it's quite good actually around marathon training for people to pick to be getting all these little tips i like the way you're not you're, you're doing this wrong you're making it sound as though it's completely by accident that, that this has happened what we need to do is make sure it goes knowing that you're going to be doing spring marathons we thought <laughs> it was really important to ensure the next few were very technical we're going to sandwich it in between some stupid talk but actually they're very very technical in order to help you with your spring marathons and things that you're planning in 2019 that's what we well, should have said yeah well i mean linking to that i i went to a an evening i'll, I'll talk a, a little bit more detail when we're on a an episode that needs a bit more content because this one is going way over but um, i went to the the english marathon coach put on a uh, um a training session it was meant to be for elite races that ross and i signed up for pretending we're a bit quicker than we are well yeah. ross is quick enough but certainly aren't but we didn't realize we'd been bumped into the coaching session which is for any uh athlete in England athletics coach could attend. So we sat there and, it, and some of it was pretty basic, which I guess if you're you know, a relatively new coach in a small running club, you yeah. might not know 
the level of uh, well uh, training pra- programs and nutrition all things that, that we take for granted but um he did go into some really interesting you know the the 10 percent rule for increasing your mileage yeah they, he actually explained the the stats behind it and how it breaks down it's, it's quite different Ooh. to what you think actually oh really yeah, yeah I'll, I'll go into have i got time so I'll, I'll quickly go into it but we're going to hopefully get nick on to go into huge detail for um quite a few concepts he talks about but but instead of my understanding always has always been you you shouldn't increase your mileage by more than 10 percent more than last week yeah which is a little bit crazy if you're not rider because you 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 know, if you want to do a hundred mile race, ten percent rule means you've got to start so far, so far in advance. Um, but actually, what he was saying is, it's to do with the risk of injury and getting over a, um, a a percentage chance of injury that is unacceptable. And instead of it being total mileage, it's also to do with the intensity, which makes sense because if you're running, you are a tempo session every single day for a week. That's going to kill you. Yeah. Um, and, and it might not even be that long compared to if you just do a few long runs. So the great thing about it is it's to do with you can you can measure it with perceived intensities. So if you've ever gone to have a heat chamber exercise, you know, it, all these different um, VO2 max tests, a lot of it is done on your, your, your perception where 10 is absolutely flat out. You're bursting, you know, bursting your, your balls. You can't do anything more for Four is like a nice jog. Six is conversation. And so if you rate your mileage, the distance in miles, times that by the perceived effort of your run. So long run might be a six. Tempo might be a nine. Um, And then you add up that score. If you then average that over the last six weeks, that is the score that is your your 10 percent should be based on so it it aggregates it in case you have a rest week you have it and but also it looks at your overall training intensity which thinking about it now makes far more sense than just how many miles have you run because you could be doing that very sensibly like double day is properly stretching um and so i think I think for, for people like us, for do-badders, it's, it's quite good news because it means you can actually up your overall mileage quicker than you previously thought, but you've just got to make sure that you reduce the intensity of your training as you, you ramp up because um, you know, if, you're, if you're suddenly upping your mileage and then doing math and pace um, progression runs on your long run, you're asking for injury, basically. Does that make sense? You lost me at ten percent. <laughs> Jesus Christ! That was I. I, I think I, I think I generally get that. Yeah, yeah. No, I do. I, I do get it. That's useful. Yeah. Let's talk about that again on the next one, and let's use some examples because I think that's I think that's really interesting because there, there's so many rules like that in in running that mm. you just you just assume um, just because they're, they're spouted so often. But that makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense, and that that is yeah because. You're right. When you when you're doing those sort of things, you think, well, if if that if that really applied, um, then you'd be getting injured. Anyone that does any any like ultra would be getting mm. injured because you mm. you know on, on a on a fifty mile or a or a hundred mile, you're not getting anywhere close to 
to, to, to that kind of mileage on a single run. Uh, and so, you know, how, how would that work? But actually, that makes a, that makes a lot of sense, um, you know, bringing the intensity into it as well. So yeah, yeah. Let's, let's let's focus on that. If there's, if there's some more, if there's some more like myths like that that are busted as well, that, that's that's quite that's quite interesting. Yeah, and and he's he's really leading the the edge of cutting. He's, he's leading the way in cutting edge research. So hopefully we'll get Nick on in, in a few weeks' time. So do better. If you do have any questions about marathon training in particular, then um, do send emails to us, letters at badboyrunning.com or get in the Facebook group post them there messages directly if you want just on facebook we do respond to the message we get and also if you've got any views on what elizabeth has said and her talk her, you know her conversation about kit elizabeth because of her job is always happy to answer because she can actually recommend from the range and you can buy through her so whatever she says it's good for her business essentially but um if you enjoyed this episode who would you recommend tom evans talk Talking about coming third in his first ever marathon sabla, incredible. Um, any episode you'd recommend, Jody? Uh, I think any of the. Actually, if, if you're if you're thinking about doing MDS, going back through the MDS episodes, um, both the previews um, and and the ones following when you completed it as well, I think it'd be really useful. I think we've got quite a bank of um, MDS related episodes that'd be really useful to anyone doing the MDS for the first time. Yeah, I mean it's hour after hour, but you're going to have time. To- to listen <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. If, you're tra- yeah, if you're training for it you're gonna you're gonna smash through those pretty quickly and uh, if you've if you'd like us to interview anyone in the future get in the facebook group and tag us that's probably the important thing because sometimes people do suggest guests and we just don't notice them because there's quite a lot of content going in there tag myself or tag probably myself actually i'm the person who books them more than jd but could tag us both and say this person and why and we'll then go about get them on the podcast for you so uh oh, another pleasure jd all right then man see you later but bye 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 bye